The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, keeping it strong style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out and bury all the frauds. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be re- reviewing Resurgence, the conclusion of the Super Junior Tag League, answering listener questions, and covering all its news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate. Clicking the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like Dark Mode. Improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? What's up? (laughs) I said, what's up? You're you're in an R truth mood today. <laughs> you can get with this, or you can get with that. Better get with this, because this is where it's at. What's up? What's up, <laughs> dude? I don't think uh, in all the years of travel that we've done together, I have been as zapped for energy or wiped out post trip as I have for this resurgence show. And I think most of it has to do with. The time lapse, you know, the jet lag, even though it's just three hours, but also the fucking travel that we did, man. Like, that was a crazy travel schedule. Like, whole days of traveling. Like, it sucked. But, like, we were, you know, traveling the territories, going from making towns, going town to town. Yeah, bro. It made me think, like, do I really want to be a wrestler? (laughs) (laughs) What's funny is, like, I've taken some pretty horrendous bumps and done some crazy, you know, you know, classes and drills and camps and stuff. And I've never been like afterwards hurting, thinking like, I don't know if I should be doing this, but like thinking about traveling like that, like, damn dog, I don't know if I want to ride in a plane this many hours. Like this (laughs) sucks. Yeah, man. We had some (laughs) long flights from Tampa. We stopped off in Phoenix and from Phoenix to California. 
then, you know, we're there for two days and right back on a plane from Phoenix to, or California, Phoenix, to Phoenix to Tampa. Yo, that Phoenix airport, let me tell you, some of the worst airport food I've ever experienced. <laughs> like, you come to the airport in uh, Tampa, like, we, we got, like, La Colombia, you know, like a five-star restaurant just chilling there. Like, there's all sorts of great, like, restaurants and stuff. We went there. We tried twice on two different occasions. We tried two different restaurants. We were like, maybe this one will be good. Nah. Uh, then another one, we're like, oh, this sounds good. Nah. That was weak. Yeah, it, it was not not the best food. And it was, of course, very expensive. <laughs> yeah. And then Southwest, man, those seats, bro, I was... It was just so tight. Like I'm so tired. I slept. I literally slept ten hours today. I slept a full eight hours and change, which is rare for me. Last night, and then two one hour naps today. Try to like break this, uh, you know, fatigue. But man, I'm I'm feeling it. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention, you know, our flight was super delayed uh, on the way back home. Our flight got delayed like what two three hours from when it was supposed to take off. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you couple that with like getting to the car, travel home. I mean, I I didn't get home till like four o'clock. And then at that point I was so like ramped up, like I didn't fall asleep till like five in the morning. Like I was supposed to go into work the next day. I I, like hit up my boss. I'm like, yeah, that's not a no for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I was ahead. I already had taken Monday off. I knew that regardless of what time I got in, there was no way I was going to want to work the next day. And then I went in today, but I might as not I might as well not have because I like I was there in physical form, but <laughs> mentally I was completely checked out. Oh man, but yeah, man, we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about about our trip and resurgence. Uh, also, for you listeners, you know, I'm uh, not pulling any punches either. I'm going to tell you guys the unadulterated <laughs> truth. Uh, but real quick for you listeners, by the time you're hearing this, it's probably going to be Wednesday, and it's my birthday, 32 years old. So, Oh, my gosh. Happy birthday to the boss of the Social <laughs> Suplex Podcast Network, one half of the ace of podcasts, keeping a strong style, Jeremy Donovan. He is all elite wrestling. <laughs> so, yeah, so 18th is my shoot birthday. I know some of you probably saw my sign and a uh, face on dynamite a couple weeks ago. That was a early uh, cafe birthday from my girlfriend. Uh, so the 18th shoot birthday, 32 show some love, uh, drop us some ratings, some reviews, a donation if you can. And yeah, appreciate you guys. Yeah. Send me some money in honor of Jeremy Donovan's birthday. Uh, <laughs> My PayPal is Joshua <laughs> underscore Smith underscore one zero one. In, in the four message put for Jeremy's birthday, he'll Josh will definitely make sure to get it to me. Uh, I want to talk more about your birthday, but while while you're on the subject, so today I got a letter in the mail that that was from like this agency where they try to uh, collect money not not collect money from me, collect money for me. Oh, apparently. Uh, yeah, apparently when you – some like sometimes you might work – you know, I've had like a million jobs and I've moved a million times. Yeah. Well, sometimes when a company owes you money and they can't locate you, they can't track you down or find you, they'll hold on to the money for like three to five years. And then after a certain period of time, they relinquish it and instead of looking for you, they just send it to the state and then 
either you claim that or it reverts to ownership of the state. And uh, I got this letter and they're like, oh, we'll help you get this money back that's owed to you. And like, I, it was from a, a business I used to work for. And it was, bro, it's a lot of money. And I was like, what in the world? <laughs> and they're like, for only 16% of the profits, we will do everything for you. I was like, no, 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 no. And then I went and I, uh, I looked it up. I found like the state of Florida website and I looked it up, bro. I had three checks. Wow. That were owed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> three commission checks for when I worked at Ashley furniture so I got like four hundred fifty dollars coming my way, like out of nowhere. So nice, hit the pay window. Yeah, um, I, I'm not gonna be able to use any of that on your birthday. But <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday, bro! <laughs> Are you? Uh, no, but in all seriousness, any plans with the family, the girlfriend? You know, this weekend, SummerSlam weekend. What are we doing? Yeah, SummerSlam weekend. You threw an offer out. I think I'm down to watch. My my brother's also getting married on Saturday, but it's Saturday morning. All the festivities I think should be done by Saturday night. So I, I would be down to uh, watch SummerSlam with the guys. Nice. Well, maybe maybe we'll need to uh, get a Publix cake. We'll get the kind I like, but it'll say <laughs> Happy Birthday to you. We'll, we'll we'll get the cake you like. We'll get the beer you like. The uh, that the coffee gimmick. The uh, cream and sugar. Yeah, we'll get the cream and sugar. Coffee. Actually, I actually like that beer, but uh. Yeah, we'll Bro, get, it's incredible! It's incredible beer. We'll, we'll get you some of those dark stout, fancy gimmick beers you like. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a, a theme birthday for you, but for it's me, it's gonna be a Tanahashi and Ishii theme birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Jeremy! <laughs> oh man, but man, we got a lot of stuff to talk about before we jump into resurgence. I think we got to talk about strong real quick. So technically, that strong happened before resurgence, and there were some storyline things that played into. Resurgence. So uh, this was Road to Summer Struggle. Strong episode fifty three opened up with Barrett Brown coming out with Bateman and Mysterioso. So uh, somehow, out of randomly, I know Mysterioso and Jordan Clearwater have been having issues, but out of nowhere, Mysterioso just is now full heel in the all black, looking like a demonic flamita, and he is now with uh, Barrett Brown and Bateman, and they helped uh, Barrett Brown defeat Best Friends Wheeler Utah seven minutes twenty nine seconds. Then the second match we had... And, it, and it's funny that you say best friends because... Oh, you mean best friends because he's part of the, the stable best, best friends. Yeah. Oh, okay. Never mind. I thought that was like a... Uh, you didn't, Like you accidentally said that and I was like, oh, funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then the second match we had the uh, young gun in the Bullet Club, Hikaleo. He defeats the savage weight, Freddie A. High, 9 minutes, 31 seconds. Then uh, post-match, Higaleo, uh, you know, asking for competition. And Juice Robinson comes out, answers the call, uh, to, you know, tells the matchmakers to make the match. And then we find out that this match uh, got booked for resurgence. So last-minute addition to the card. Yeah, Higaleo was like, I, I've run through everybody. I want a challenge. And Juice was like, I want to wrestle on the card and get paid. So... <laughs> <laughs> that works out perfectly for me. Yeah. Uh, then the main event, we had Carl Fredericks and the man of the hour, Leo Rush, defeat the team, filthy team of Danny Limelight and filthy Tom Waller, 12 minutes, 18 seconds. A fun, fast-paced main event here. Leo Rush hits the rush hour on Danny Limelight to get the win here, pick up some momentum, and then it was announced on New Japan social media that Leo Rush would be challenging 
filthy Tom Waller for the strong title at Monday's Fighting Spirit Unleashed Strong TV tapings. And they drew that sold-out crowd on a one-day notice. (laughs) (laughs) Thank uh, Leo Rush for the house. Yeah, thank you, Leo. (laughs) Um, And then a bit of news that we got as we were in California getting ready for resurgence. uh, Brody King was pulled from the resurgence card. Uh, They said due to unforeseen circumstances, Brody King will be unable to compete at resurgence. We apologize to fans. We're looking forward to seeing King wrestle and appreciate your understanding. So, Brody, not at resurgence, not at the strong TV tapings. He was replaced by Adrian Quest, and then uh, Jordan Clearwater filled in for Adrian Quest in the pre-show dark match. You know, um, he, like you mentioned, he said in his social media that he's okay, so we don't know the circumstances surrounding it, what it is. I've, I've heard some people speculate, say it was some sort of political, like, issue, Um not like not like politics, like, but like, like Ring of Honor. Possibly, I don't know. Mm. And then others who speculated possibly it's health related or personal. We don't really know one way or the other. I, obviously, I would have liked to have seen Brody King compete, but I will say this: I thought it was a pleasant um, replacement with Adrian Quest because you know Young Fuego is a guy who has been grinding for strong, and if we weren't able to see Brody King. I'm glad that th- that the replacement was, you know, Adrian Quest, and he. We'll talk about that match, but he got a chance to shine there uh, again. Still, would have loved to see Brody King, but uh, you know, I thought they did the best they could, provided the circumstances. Yeah. So we got some questions here that we should uh, talk about before we go into the match by match review. So first, from friend of the show Dan Coffin, he says, "How did you like the venue for Resurgence? I thought it came across pretty nice on screen." Yeah, I've heard some um, some complaints about uh, the the layout of the show, the fact that they had the hard camera kind of pointed at the archways, and very few fans can fit inside that little area between the archways, so it kind of made the crowd seem minuscule. Um, I don't know. I watched a few matches, and I, they kind of shuffle between diff, you know different angles, and I think you see a good portion of the crowd, but I, I would agree that the layout might not be optimal for – showing just how many people were actually there. That's something that like AEW and like WWE are really good at is recon even ring of honor, sometimes reconfiguring a crowd to make it look like there's more people there than there actually is. And, and in this case they sold out the full configuration and they didn't maximize that, you know? Right. Um, definitely could have, I, I did rewatch the whole show on new Japan world. Um, I thought the venue looked great on camera. I love the shots where they had the torch and they would like pan down to the archway. That was cool. Um, you know, really just a cool, you know, outdoor venue. Um, but like, I agree, like as far as, you know, showing the audience, I mean, you know, over 2,000 people there didn't do the best. There are some wide shots where you can kind of see um, there's a lot of people there. But for the most part, you know, the action, how New Japan shoots, focus on the ring. So you really didn't see. That, that full capacity throughout, throughout the show. As far as the light, like the actual, let's be very clear what the LA torch is. I think we, maybe me and Jeremy had some confusion leading into the show. We knew it was like a venue space that was outside of the LA Coliseum, but like what it basically is, just so everyone is very, very aware, it's literally just the, the outside, like lobby area outside of the LA Coliseum. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not like 
something that is configured with the stage setup that's always there and like permanent seating. It's nothing like that. It's probably on game day, just the empty space that you walk out to, to go to concessions and go to the bathroom, literally. Yeah. Um, which I, I do got to say this. I was listening to Observer and I heard Dave Meltzer complain about them, New Japan calling this a sellout because he was like, they could have done 10,000 seats in that venue, you know, up to set, you know, so they're them calling it a sellout, you know, is, is not real. Let me be, be very clear here. This is not a place that has 10,000 seats where 8,000 needed to be tarped off and the other two were sold out. This is literally a lobby, an empty lobby that is just space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like an outdoor like courtyard kind of gimmick. It's it's a courtyard. That's not a lobby. It's a I kept saying lobby. Yeah, it's it's the courtyard. It's just the outdoor courtyard. So like yeah, they they put X amount of chairs out there and then sold those off. That's a sellout. I, I would agree with him if like for instance, hypothetically, you know, there was ten thousand seats and they had to tarp off a big section, but this is not an actual venue. It literally is just a courtyard. That'd be like complaining that someone was in a field. And sold out 500 seats and be like, yeah, but that field is vast. They could have put 20,000 seats on that field. That's not a – the logic doesn't hold up. I don't think maybe he's even aware that right. it's not really a real venue. Um, but as far as the looks of it with the lighting and yes. then I thought it was really cool how they had those two little ban- uh, posts and they put the New Japan, the red and blue banner. Yeah, that's dope. I thought that they made it look like way more than it actually was because when you walked up to it, it – didn't look that inspiring. Yeah, I mean, it was cool, but it was like, man, this is it. And then the lights came down and the, the, torch the gets lights set. and the torch set up, and it was awesome. Yeah, I will say I like this better than the G1 Dallas setup as far as, like, aesthetics. Yeah, as far as aesthetics, I mean, keep in mind, too, we've never been to an outdoor New Japan show before in the States. Well, anywhere, so there that it also had that kind of going for it. Yeah. So our next question here from our user Germanis. He says, I watch Resurgence on NJPW World. I'll tell you what, production values were superb. I couldn't no, hear subpar. Th- subpar. Uh, <laughs> I normally, that. I wouldn't, normally I wouldn't correct you, but those are completely different meanings. <laughs> yeah, mis- misread that there. Subpar. Uh, couldn't hear the crowd much uh, since you were there. Who did the crowd pop big for? Any surprises for you two on crowd reaction, either more over or less over than you would have thought? That's a really great question. I'll, I'll tell you this much. Um, I didn't watch the whole show. I've seen one match, and I would agree. I thought that they did not do a very good job miking the crowd. It, it is difficult, though, in an outdoor setting um, where the sound just kind of goes up. And the way that they configured us, everyone was ground level. Uh, there wasn't any bad seats, so it's not like you couldn't see. you know. So, But at the same time, there wasn't like uh, – you know, bleachers where people kind of go up. So everything's ground level. So it was really kind of hard to pick up on the sound. I'll say this from the section that we sat in, that's probably a good thing because I think we were sort of under the impression that this was going to be like most of the other new Japan shows we've been to in the past, like a fly in crowd. Yeah. Especially since they sold out so many tickets, like right away, I was like, "Oh, there's a lot of people that want to come into town to experience the first big show." Well, it turns out, like, no, the flying crowd was like me, Chris Hamsa, Jeremy, Karen, and Karen, <laughs> Karen and Karen. Like that was it. Like, 
like almost every there was everybody there was local and the section that we were sat in thank you new japan for accommodating us and credentialing us but the section that we sat in was we were surrounded by like your hardcore like north american typical wrestling fans it was all local socal people so they're like wwe chants aew chants impact Impact chants all Uh. sorts of it was bizarre world like this was like no new japan u.s crowd i've ever been a part of right and you had that mix also a mix of bullet club fans like diehard bullet club fans that just you know love the bullet club and nothing else about new japan one thing i noticed um they're the contingency of more diehard New Japan fans, like what I'd call probably like more prolific, you know, standard watchers. Those tended to be the people in the first sections around the ring that were more expensive. They're willing to spend that money. And the fans that were more problematic with the negative chance and the kind of negative energy tended to be those that spent less money that were in the back. Right. Did you notice that? Yeah. So, yeah. um, and we we're kind of sat in between those two crowds. So like we kind of hear both of them uh, simultaneously. But uh, what I what really surprised me is how most guys that are that you would consider your typical New Japan stars or everyday like strong guys did not tend to garner much reaction initially on, upon their like, you know, coming out and everything like that. Um, some of them got more over as the match can, you know, went on, but anybody that was either a former WWE guy, uh, a current AEW star or an impact guy, those guys tended to just get the biggest, most positive reactions of the night. Yeah. I'll see John Moxley got a huge reaction. Um, there was, there was some chance for Fred Rosser, Leo Rush got a huge, uh, reaction, uh, Wheeler Utah yeah. got a really big reaction, bigger than anyone else in the match that he was with, which like that AEW you know, pop. Yeah, and you consider the guys that he wrestled with, most of them on strong are booked higher on the card than him. So I was a little surprised by that. Um yeah, uh the Good Brothers real, really yeah, really good, big. Good brothers monstrous uh pop for them. Uh Jay White, surprisingly super over. And I mean, if you think well, about that- that one's not super surprising, but you know, you're probably going to make the same point I'm about to say. So Yeah, the, the, also the J.Y. Dave Finley match was the first match announced. Majority of the tickets sold in that match. So, you know, I know Jay always you know says that he sold out uh, Madison Square Garden, but, you know, he and essentially you could say he sold this show out because for the majority of the time when tickets were on sale, the J.Y. Finley match was the match that was, you know, the featured main event. But he came out huge reaction uh, from the you know the Bull Club contingent, and people loved him. And he came out like two sweeting everybody, like he was just, you know big like baby face coming back home. Yeah, it's not quite the same thing, but it was almost like you know Bret Hart in Calgary, you know at the Canadian Stampede. Like <laughs> I was like, we're in bizarre world. Like the fans just lost their minds for him, and yeah. um, and Moose. I- Moose was really, really, really over. I watched that match. You can't really hear it through the audio. Um, But, you know, there's nothing wrong with those guys being over and getting good reactions. That wasn't really my complaint. My complaint was the negative uh, type of just crowd chants, you know, a lot of Rusev days every single time. Um, What's Aiden English's Uh, new name? Matt Morris. Every time Matt Morris showed up on the screen, just Rusev Day, like all over the place. And I'm like, guys, like that it's been so many years and that guy's name's not even Rusev and he's in a totally different company. And like, 
I'm pretty sure Aiden English is not playing that character. Like, you know. Um, right, he's lot, doing a whole drama king gimmick now. I don't know what he's doing because I haven't seen him yet. But, like, a lot of Adam Cole, baby, all night Adam Cole, baby, chants. Which, like, I was like, he's, dude, what what is going on? Yeah, when uh, Moxley was wrestling, there was a small chance of let's go, Ambrose. Like, yeah, and, and that was funny too because we there was uh, Hideo Itami chance at the G1 in Dallas uh, from a very small group of people, and like the crowd shut them down, you know. But here, this was a pretty like casual New Japan audience. Um, uh, Archer super over. Archer yes, yeah. was as over or more over than Tanahashi was. Um, when uh when Jay White won his match, like a large portion of the crowd just walked out of the show and didn't stay for the main event. That's another like key indicator of like the overness of Jay White, but also that like those fans might just be bullet club fans. Right. Exactly. It was weird. I've never thought of like of that sort of thing, you know? Uh what were some other Really bad chance. Uh, the, oh. During the Archer match, there was, like, tramp stamp chance. Yeah, for Archer, yeah. And then um, during the filthy Team Filthy 10-man, uh, there was, like, Daisy Dukes and Booty Shorts chance. Booty Shorts. For uh, Tom Waller. Yeah, just a lot of, like, uh, there's AEW chance. Yeah, which, uh, there were people in the crowd who did, didn't understand who Yumura was and who Shibata was and the whole, like, dojo thing. Or who, like, Ishii was or, like... Uh, when during the main event, Tanahashi gets ready to play air guitar, and like bunch of people, like a bunch of people from the crowd, just completely just stormed off, mad. They were angry. I was blown by that. Like you compare that to like the G1 in Dallas, that moment when him and Okada <laughs> are standing, and the entire crowd is just going ape shit, and like it's so incredible. And then um. <laughs> <laughs> and then this moment where like Tanahashi's gonna play the air guitar and like people are so mad that Lance Archer from AEW didn't keep his belt. <laughs> right. Oh, Eugene Nagata got no pop. Yeah, I mean I, I also back on when I watched it back, I mean there was some pop again. Like we were on like that that kind of weird side of the crowd. The right side of the crowd opposite us seemed to be Th- that might be part of it too. More of like the like more of a diehard New Japan kind of base on that right side, but well, I thought about that, but also we don't really know because it was hard to hear what was going on on that side of the True, audience yeah. well, too. So, but silly, yeah. If you would have thought, you know, a surprise, Eugene Nagata would have got a bigger pop than he did get. Yeah, and I heard some people complain about it. I'm like, guys, it could have been so much worse. You know, I, I was glad it was Nagata and not Sammy Callahan. <laughs> yeah, so was I. So yeah, I, I was happy about that. Um, I, I was, I was legit getting mad at the crowd, like. Uh, my girlfriend was listening to some of Jeremy's stories and she like heard my voice where I was like, these people fucking suck. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, that's mean. I was like, you have no idea how disrespectful this crowd literally, I was like, at least I didn't go for anybody. I didn't come for anybody's head. Like, right. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that was our experience. Like I would say this was the, by far the worst new Japan audience that I've been a part of. Um, but I think there's some positives to it. I think this was a chance to expose a lot of people who aren't as familiar with the product to it, you know? Yeah. Even if they're not as educated on the product. So that's a good thing. Um, and uh, David Finley, that man got booed out oh, the building. Oh, that was bad. 
I've never seen, I've never been as embarrassed for someone as a performer to see that kind of, you know, negative reception for them. Um, uh, it, I mean, it it didn't come across as much on, um, the broadcast, but like, I don't know. The, the one thing I can think of is like that time when John Cena got like, when he had to wrestle RVD. <laughs> yeah. That one night stand. Yeah. But, yeah. But at least that crowd like was hostile, you know, and he was getting heat like with Dave Finley. It was almost apathy. Like not only did he get booed, but there's a lot of times where he just got no reaction. Yeah. I, I would say a majority, it was like no reaction. Like he came out, his music played like no reaction. Then Jay White gets this monstrous reaction. And then during the match, like everything was just for Jay. Yes. Yeah, very much so. So, yeah, it was very it was different, very, very, very different from what we were probably expecting and kind of used to. Plus, we'll talk about it, but there's a lot of weird stuff that went on during that show. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With the venue. Yeah, we had fireworks going off. We had there was like a concert happening uh, like inside the Coliseum. I I thought it was a band practice or or a a private party or something. Yeah, we don't know. Yeah, it was weird. Uh, next question here from Sir Sam. He said, "Who got the biggest pop? Was there anything that happened that didn't get filmed? And is fried chicken for breakfast a normal thing in America? Because if that is, that is incredible." <laughs> He's asking because what he saw that we went to uh, uh, Roscoe's, yeah, and got a uh, chicken and waffles uh, Saturday <laughs> morning with uh, Karen and Karen. That's funny. Um, I don't think there was anything that happened that didn't get filmed that I'm aware of. Um, o- only, think- only the dark match, the pre-show dark match. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, for me, easily the biggest pop of the night was Jay White. Yeah, hands down, Jay White, biggest pop. And and may like probably Tanahashi and Archer were like close seconds. I think Archer might be number two. Yeah, I think it just to be it's. Yeah, it's. I would say like Archer, Tanahashi, like a two A, two B kind of thing. But Archer did get like a monstrous reaction. Um, there wasn't anything that happened that didn't get filmed aside from the dark stuff. Um, as far as chicken and waffles, like in America, I don't think fried chicken is like something. <laughs> I don't think it's something that like generally speaking, it's considered an everyday staple of the standard American breakfast. However. Chicken and waffles was one of those things. I, like, it, it's it's a southern cooking sort of thing, and I do remember hearing about it growing up and like never having had it. But then at some point, it just kind of caught on. And in most diners and most like trendy like gastro pubs and like restaurants, you can get chicken and waffles for breakfast in most places now. Yeah, it's almost like. I feel, I feel like at one point it was kind of like a kind of a rarity, like oh, you have to go seek out like a place that has chicken and waffles. And yeah. Now it's pretty much like most breakfast places, like I said, most diners, like it's, like it's kind of like a normal thing now. Like it's not a rare kind of weird thing. Like oh, I have to try. I mean, it's amazing, but now it's like you can pretty much get it anywhere around here. That's a, yeah. And so we went and we had Roscoe's, and it was good. And but it has this really legendary reputation. I think part of it too is like when you go there, it's an experience there's certain particular type of attitude and ambiance to that place but like i've had chicken and waffles so many times in my life now at so many different places where like i could easily say that that was not the best chicken and waffles i've ever had yeah, it was it's, very it's, good yeah yeah it's good you know maybe uh you know 3.75 maybe yeah uh, it was like a, a good little chicken and waffles 3.75 um but for the price, I mean, I don't know. We split a plate, but it was like twenty four dollars. Like I would never pay twenty four dollars for chicken and waffles 
in Florida for anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no matter how that good was it is. nuts. Yeah. And I've, I've had much better chicken and waffles, lots of places. So that was a little surprising. Uh, and last question here before we jump into the match-by-match match review from Muzza. He says, besides Resurgence, what was your favorite thing you did in L.A.? Probably, uh, I, we'll probably have the same answer. We got to hang out with Chris Samsa in real life, which we've never done before. And Chris, really cool guy. And um, the Friday night we got in, we went to a recommended Korean barbecue place in Koreatown called Park's Barbecue. And guys, we had an epic meal. Like it was incredible. It was amazing. Um, it was so good. Well, like you said at, the, at dinner, you, we felt like we were in an anime. Like they brought all these bowls. There was all this meat. Uh, They're cooking the meat in front of us, and man, it was just good stuff. Yeah, it was really. We could uh, we could talk more about it if. But yeah, if you go there uh, to L.A. Parks Barbecue, one of the best meals I've ever had. I've had. Uh, Korean barbecue in South Korea before and this was as good or better probably like so yeah I was blown away yeah it was amazing like you mentioned you know hanging out with Chris that night getting dinner there and you know chatting it up that was awesome and then another great part of that you know post dinner we're like you know still kind of early what what we want to do I'm like man let's let's go to the dojo (laughs) (laughs) and uh, Sam's was like how far away is it I'm like you know it's like 25 minutes like let's do it so we uh, we hop in with Samson. We head down to the L.A. Dojo. <laughs> we found a really good brewery too. What was that place called? Indian Angel, River Angel City. Angel City Brewery. That place was uh, it was adjacent or in uh, Little Tokyo. Little Tokyo. If you that's a part of L.A. Yeah. that's really cool. Especially and, uh, if you're a big uh, anime or video game fan, a lot of cool stuff there. That stuff too, but they also had like great bakeries and desserts and you know tea houses and bookstores there was incredible like laser discs and um lps and albums it was it was a really cool place yeah also have to give a shout out to uh esteban of the unofficial new japan uh, north american fan club he also had several meetups throughout the weekend we went to uh, lunch with one of the meetups for fogo de chow uh Covered by the fan club, Esteban pours a lot of time and effort into the fan club, and so got some uh, uh, nice little lunch there. Yep. So let's move on and uh, talk about the actual show. Yep. So Resurgence, like we mentioned, kicked off. We had a, a pre-show dark match. We had that new unit of Barrett Brown, Mysterioso, and Bateman. They defeated Jordan Clearwater, Kevin Knight, and the DKC Nine minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, I didn't get to see all this match because I was in line getting some merch. But uh, when, <laughs> <laughs> when I got back, you know, it was your kind of typical standard opener. Thought all the guys looked good and, uh, you know, move things along. Yeah, I thought it was a good six-man tag. I don't have much to add there. I, I'm very impressed with Bateman and Mysterioso. Jordan Clearwater got a haircut, so that's good. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Kevin Knight Kevin Knight, and DKC are doing their thing, you know, very promising young line. So good dark match opener. Yeah. So then the main card opens up with the next match in the Alex Coughlin challenge match series as Carl Fredericks defeats Alex Coughlin 10 minutes and 48 seconds. Yeah, this was really, really great. And this would probably be for me like my sleeper pick for underrated match of the night. Um, I haven't heard 
too much from anybody talking about just how impressive this match was. But um, these these guys, LA Dojo guys, when they go toe-to-toe, they really, really go at it. And, and like, Coughlin was striking the crap out of Carl yeah. Fredericks. They were both hitting pretty hard. Like, they were hitting so hard. But these guys, you know, they, they've trained together extensively. So they just – the timing, the pace, the energy, it's all on point. Um, this reminded me a lot of the singles match that we got between Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors just before Clark went uh, – you know, kind of graduated from the dojo, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah. And this was kind of on that same level. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a very strong opener. Um, you know, if there was anyone in the crowd that wasn't as familiar with these guys, which it did seem to some extent like the crowd wasn't as familiar, but I think that this is one of those matches that started off with little reception, but by the end of it, they really had gained the crowd and got them behind them. So this was a perfect choice for the opener and it kind of continues Coughlin's progression and, you know, Carl Fredericks beat him with the manifest destiny. And like, I, I thought this match ruled. Yeah. I love this match. It was a great way to kick off the show. Like you mentioned, you know, there weren't really many, like, Fredericks or Coughlin chants. People were kind of unfamiliar. Like, the non-New Japan famous was unfamiliar. But, yeah, by the end of the match, they had the people hard-hitting. I mean, there was a, a lariat that uh, Coughlin did to Fredericks, which just... Oh, yeah, you just saw the mist go up. <laughs> yeah, the mist of sweat, and that was awesome. Yeah, very hard-hitting. A lot of great counters. Like you mentioned, uh, the Alpha Wolf hits the Manifest Destiny, gets a win there, shows some respect to uh, Coughlin post-match. Uh, then we move into the second match where we had... The Wild Rhino, Clark Connors, Red Narita, and TJP defeating the team of Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero, and Wheeler, Utah, 11 minutes and 19 seconds. Yeah, I was a little surprised here. This was a match that I definitely anticipated Rosser and Rocky Romero winning just because of the fact that they've sort of kind of, I don't know, like have this new budding like uh, – friendship and partnership it seemed like on strong i don't know if that's going to be the case going forward right and also you know as far as reactions i thought rocky got a pretty good reaction rocky did get one of the biggest reactions and you know what if you think about it with him appearing on so many different shows in recent memory plus you know it's kind of understood who he is in the annals of new japan as well as you know his uh you know, his role with Strong, and then also the notoriety that he gets from, you know, boozing with the boys and talking shop and talking shop mania. I think a lot of that goes kind of into that as well. Right. Yeah, definitely. We mentioned that diehard Bullet Club fan base, a lot of big Good Brother fans. So, yeah, Rocky definitely probably receives a lot of, you know, well, you it's know, mind. That. It's it's mind boggling, bro. They <laughs> love the Good Brothers. Yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of sour boy chants for, um, Luke or for uh, Carl Anderson, so yeah, definitely. They're yeah, in- I didn't even know what the fuck they were talking about. <laughs> there were so many sour boy chants. Like, what? <laughs> Who is that? Uh, but this was a, a very good match here too. Also, a lot of the focus on Ren Narita and Fred Roster. These guys have been feuding for a couple of weeks on Strong now, so you know a lot of you know intensity. In, man, Fred Roster. I know we kind of joke about him sometimes, but this guy. Just continues to improve, get better. Very hard hitting, very snug, fired up. He was so snug on that night. Yeah. Like crazy. Also surprised at the outcome because of the fact that Clark Connors and TJP have sort of always had a little bit of animosity and miscommunication in their match as well. And I think we thought that kind of story would continue to play out here. And 
it didn't really play that way. There, there's going to be events that we'll talk about later in the night that sort of make sense as to why this team picked up the victory here. Right. But I, w- I was a little surprised uh, to see the, you know, this LA Dojo team win. Right. I mean, and, on, on the other side, you have a, a former WWE guy, you have Rocky, and then you have the AEW guy. Yeah, but on the other side, you got a former WWE guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, TJP doesn't do the dab anymore. I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's, le- he's left that in the past. Oh, back in 2015. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know what? Like, I still want to see this Narita Fred Rosser match, but we didn't get as many interactions between them in this, you know, limited 11 minute match as I would have liked. But uh, it's still after the match, they were still going at it. There's still heat there, so that looks to be like something that's probably going to be on the tapings. Yeah. So then we move on to the next matchup, Big Ten Man Tag. We have the team of Adrian Quest, Chris Dickinson, Freddie Yehi, Leo Rush, and Yu Yamura defeating the Team Filthy team of Danny Limelight, Jarrell Nelson, J.R. Kratos, Royce Isaacs, and the strong champion, Filthy Tom Waller, 13 minutes and one second. Yeah, 13 minutes. Uh, this match was really good. Um there was a lot of guys here that the crowd was unfamiliar with and a lot of um, just high-octane, high-paced action. By the end of it, it seemed like the crowd, again, had gotten to know and recognize who a lot of these guys were. Um, Tom Lawler was getting those you know, booty shorts and Daisy Duke's chance, like we mentioned. And this guy is such a pro. He like turned that moment into a moment where he started strutting around <laughs> yeah. and then – and then they turn it into a group, like a group pose like off, Gin, and like Ginyu Force pose. Yeah, like yeah, like a Ginyu <laughs> Force pose. They they completely broke that chant and got the crowd to, to like just get heat on them. And like he, he, this is a guy that like really understands the psychology of working a crowd. I think a lot more than most other like U.S. based wrestlers. You know. Yeah, uh, yeah, like he mentioned. You know, Leo Rush is probably the most over person in this match, and Leo looked great in this match. A lot of great spots. Uh, wait, wait a second. Leo Rush is over? <laughs> it's almost as if I've been saying for a little while that he's, like, one of the most well-recognized names on the strong roster. That's crazy that <laughs> the live audience knows who Leo Rush is and is super behind him. Yeah, oh, you know, man, there, that's crazy. There, there's some people we talk to who don't realize what big of a star uh, Leo Rush is. But it's any, almost like it's almost like the challenge isn't the biggest show in America, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, Leo was awesome here. Ton, you know, he's a super quick, a lot of great spots. Um, good spot where uh, Jr. Kratos like did a well. Uh, Adrian Quest did a Asai moon salt to the outside. It was pretty dope. I loved that he got that moment to sort of shine because he wasn't even supposed to be in this match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was going all out. He was doing a lot. You know, did a tornillo. He did a lot of cool spots. Uh, then Jared Cradle did a he press slam. Did he, who did he press slam into the into the uh, to the outside? I don't remember. I just remember there was a moment where he teased like he was gonna uh, go to the top rope and dive on the crowd. And that didn't end up happening. He ended up getting power bombed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he did. He pressed somebody. I don't know who it was. I was really impressed. There was a point. What one thing I love that he does is like he does. He gets in the half guard on guys. And does like the the short elbows and then the big knees and like he do, he works like a ground and pound like MMA sort of style, yeah. which is like you don't see other people do that and I think that's kind of dope. Dickinson was awesome in this match. 
yeah, Dickinson was super fired up. Um, him and uh, Filthy Tom had some great exchanges in their match. Yeah, their chain wrestling was good. Uh, the strikes were really good. It was very reminiscent of the strong title match that they had earlier this year. We try to get a Dirty Daddy chant going, but like this crowd in particular I don't think is as familiar with Chris, uh, which is not great. But also with him, he's just – he's a guy that mag- like you know uh, exudes – the fact that he's a star. And so I think as more people get to see him and become aware of him, like the, the more he's going to get over, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so Cause I mean, he, he looked like a star out of all these guys. I felt like he had like the most like star appeal, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was Leo rush. It was, it was who he pressed into. The, That's right. Uh, I was a little surprised by that too, considering that Leo's like, you know, about to challenge for the title. Uh, they definitely made him look good in this match, but to to see, uh, you know, Jared Kratos kind of muscle him like that. I was like, dang. <laughs> yeah, especially somebody coming off of a shoulder injury who's already kind of leery about continuing to wrestle. Kind of a yep. little dangerous spot there, but took it, and he's fine. Uh, Dane Limelight always looks great. He had a lot of cool spots, a lot of cool high-flying stuff. Uh, Funny spots, too. <laughs> yeah. He's like, very... when he started, when it, when the crowd was, em- when the ring was empty, he started doing the, the salsa, salsa dance. dancing. Dude, I got to get that man prop. That man can, like, salsa dance to anything. No music. He, <laughs> he salsa dances to, like, Billy Tom's music. He, any, any kind of music, this man can find a way to salsa dance to it. Uh, but it came down to him um, and you, Yumura, the two legal men. Um, he was getting ready to hit his double springboard cutter on Yumura. Leo Rush came in, pushed you out the way. He hit the... Um, Rush hour on Dane Limelight, and then Yumura hits that over uh, double overhook belly to belly suplex, gets the bridge. One, two, three. Yu Yumura picks up his first win on excursion here in the U.S. Here's the thing: is like we kind of know the story with with Yu Yumura and, and that move. It's sort of like if he can keep both arms trapped and he can get the bridge. He can beat anybody with it. That's kind of been the story, but like he never really does. And I feel like there have been a time or two where we've seen him actually hit it on a big star and they still kicked out like in super juniors and stuff like that. So when he hit it, even though I know he's on excursion, he's still a lion on excursion. I was kind of anticipating them to kick out. And when he got the one, two, three, dude, we lost our minds. Yes, dude. Me, young boy, and Chris <laughs> Sampson, we were hopping around like you had just won the IWGP World Heavyweight title. We were so psyched, so pumped up for this man. You know, we've been watching this man from the start, and to see him come here to the U.S., look great, and get this big moment, get a chance to shine. You know that they're building Leo Rush and Filthy Tom, so I thought, you know, Leo Rush is either going to pin somebody or pin Lawler or something like that to, you know, help build momentum for that match. But no, they, they went with Yumora here. Or even like Lawler screwing, you know, the other team and getting a win somehow and building heat and animosity. But yeah, this was really, really, really cool. It was funny. There was a guy behind us. I, I hate to call him out, but there's a guy behind <laughs> us who had no clue what was going on. He was there with maybe his daughter, maybe his like sugar baby. I don't know what the deal was. It was kind of, ambiguous but uh we won't judge we won't judge (laughs) but uh this man was older is all i'm saying and he was talking about big john stud and ox baker (laughs) (laughs) and he had no clue what was going on and um he kept calling any kind of pin that wasn't your standard like cradle he was calling them small packages man and he was like yeah your morgue hits him with the bridge and he's like 
Oh, freaking small package. You gotta be kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind that. Like, never mind that a small package is like a perfectly like fine way to like win a title. Like I've seen plenty of world titles. Right. And that man, uh, you know, Daniel Bryan's ROH run when he was the the master of a small package. You mean Brian Danielson, sir? Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna take me a while to to get that straight again. <laughs> but uh, it was funny because like he had no clue what was going on, and we're freaking out. So after the match is over, Yuya Mora gets the mic, and he's like, "I'm Yuya Mora. I've come to the U.S. to get stronger, and I will get stronger." And then like Shibata comes out, and the crowd loses their mind. Everyone's chanting, "Holy shit!" And he grabs the mic and he says, "Come with me." hands off that LA dojo shirt. And like, it's a really special moment. This guy behind us is like, I don't know what's going on. That guy in the black tights that I thought was boring. Everyone seems to really like him. He got the win. I don't know. I guess it's a big deal or something. Some guy that looks like his dad came out and handed him a shirt. I don't know what's going on. Can can someone explain to me (laughs) why, why this matters? And I thought for like a half second, maybe I would try to engage, but I was just like, how do I explain who Shibata is, what the LA Dojo is, what a lion is, what is happening. Like, you know, I was like, I just can't, I yeah, can't it, explain to yeah, you. Yeah, you, you would have spent the rest of the show explaining what, what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought, nah, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to enjoy the show that, you know, that I'm here to cover and not spend, spend my time trying to educate you. There's Google. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, great, great post-match moment. Moment there, very surprised. Shibata showing up, you know, officially, you know, welcoming in Yamura into the LA Dojo to get stronger. We got a question here from Hawaiian Punch BV. He says Yamura, a future main eventer, he got the pinfall in his first excursion match over an established veterans and joined Shibata's boy squad after. Yeah, uh, I mean, what's the question? He's asking if Yamura is a future main eventer. No, that's rhetorical. That's not a question. We all know that that man is a future main eventer. This man's getting the Okada treatment. You know what I mean? Like big, big send off on his way out, you know, against the the ace of the company. Big, big win in a big match on a big show in his first excursion match in the U.S. Uh, obviously, they really, really care about this guy and, and have big plans for him. Another big sign, not giving away results here, but on the strong tapings, he is in a six-man with Tanahashi and Nagata as his partners. Oh, wow. So, Jeremy, you're you're privy to what happened on the tapings. I am. Our, oh. our pal uh, Chris Samsa tweeted out a uh, non-spoiler-free list of the matches. Oh, gotcha. Well... I won't go into all that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, teaming with the A's, teaming with Nagata, you know, teaming with two former IWGP champions, you know, clearly there there's some big things in the future for this guy. Totally agree. Um, MJ Does PR said, please put some respect on Chris Dickinson's 1993 Boss Rutan aesthetic, which, you know what, now that he says it, maybe that's one of the big reasons. I mean, obviously I'm really into Chris Dickinson, but maybe that's part of it, like, because I'm such a big Boss Rutan fan. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like Dickinson <laughs> so much. Um, he also said, what's behind you, Mora, joining the LA Dojo? A strong, the prep school for stars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, what seems like, you know, of all the dojos that are coming to excursion in LA, I mean, you, you have to train somewhere, so you, you go to the LA Dojo, and we saw, you know, Narita 
He came over and he's at the dojo. And obviously, we already had like the LA dojo guys and you know Gabriel Kidd, Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, uh, DKC, Kevin Knight. We've seen all these guys come up from the dojo, and I think yeah, Shibata's doing an excellent job. You know, training these guys and getting these you know making these guys you know ready to be you know New Japan stars. And so I think and and, and you know what else too. Uh, on that night, there was like five or six guys that were fulfilling the role of like young lions. And in the past, when they've done U.S. shows, they've they've had guys like Brody King and uh, other other like SoCal based guys that are like kind of known now. Got a lot of them that are like on strong that you don't think of as like L.A. dojo guys, quote unquote, but clearly have trained in that dojo. Um, but this time they didn't have anything like that. They had like nameless, gigantic, big, strong, athletic-looking dudes behind you know behind masks that were fulfilling the role of like young lions. It could be that those are just extras, just guys that are indie talents in the local area that just came and you know are helping out. But I've got the feeling based on the builds of those guys, the mus the muscular frames and everything. Those guys are probably training in that dojo already and just haven't graduated to quote unquote lion debut status. Right. Yeah, we don't know who's training in the LA dojo. I mean, there could be, yeah, nine guys there too. And that those some of those guys at ringside are probably some of those guys. Yeah. Um, so very interesting. Um, fifth match of the night, Juice Robinson defeats the giant Hikaleo Bullet Club nine minutes. Yeah, that's probably the, the worst match of the card. Um, Juice did get a good reaction. Hikaleo got a great reaction, obviously, being a part of the Bull Club, and I'm sure that uh, AEW TV time against Lance Archer and those, those two matches on Dark probably helped as well. Um, bro, bro, that's that's one thing, you know, I you got to speak for, you know. People can say what they want about the Forbidden Door and everything like that, but, like, dude, hearing the kind of – Hikaleo got a huge, huge reaction, yeah. Reaction. And I know it wasn't because of strong. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems to me that sending those guys to major cable television like AEW has a huge impact on how they're perceived amongst wrestling fans. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely got that kind of star appeal there. And, yeah, this was, uh, you know, fine this match. This is the weakest match of the yeah, night. Yeah, weak match. It was fine. Uh, it, it started bad. It got good at the end is what I would say. Yeah, there was one point there where, like, Juice slipped off. He was trying to get on the turnbuckle, do a, a top rope move, and slip, was slipping. Hikaleo, great you know, kind of veteran move, you know, ran out of the ropes and, like, crotched him on it. Yeah, good improvisation. Um, the finish of this match, though, Juice Robinson. Yeah, he was supposed to uh, counter something into, like, a roll-up. Roll, yeah. But they messed it up, and he still got the roll-up, but, like, you know, and that kind of fits Juice's whole, you know, aesthetic. He's said many times, like, I'll roll you up, brother. Yeah, Hikaleo's <laughs> so, going for that uh, Samoan driver. Yeah. He's supposed to roll but, him from there. So, you know, he picked Juice picks up the win here. I thought Hikaleo looked pretty good, but uh, the match was, you know, it was just a nine-minute, you know, sort of like they didn't have an intermission, but if there was one, this was the nine-minute intermission match. <laughs> yeah. And uh, post-match, Hikaleo laid Juice out, so we might see this feud uh, continue on. Uh, yeah, because obviously Juice picked up a roll-up victory, keeping Hikaleo sort of looking strong. Actually, I, I do know this feud is continuing on. They 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 will face off at the uh, the strong tapings. 
Jeremy, why are you telling everybody what's gonna be on the strong taping? Hey, I'm not saying I'm not spoiling any results. <laughs> I'm just saying matches. I mean, it, you gotta figure based off this finish that this match is gonna have. There's gonna be a rematch. Oh my god, are we the news breaking account now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying these guys are gonna have a match <laughs> on strong uh, in the future. After that, we had one of the most anticipated matches of the night: the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, defeating Moose 16 minutes and seven seconds. And this match was maybe the match of the night, but argue, you know, definitely a really well-received and great match. Yeah, I love this match. Um, I mean, Ishii's a man, and this was, you know, your typical Ishii versus a bigger guy formula, where obviously, you know, Ishii, the way he wrestles, you would think he's the same size as Moose, but obviously, you know, he's still selling it and you know he's finally get the brain buster and there's certain power moves he's really fighting towards towards the beginning and then he really has to fire up to you know take the offense to moose but these guys lay the strikes in uh moose super impressive with a lot of the athleticism that he had and the spots he was doing that you know that uh cross body off the top that he did his uh pump kicks are great his drop kicks uh there was a spot where you know he did he did the okada drop kick where ishii was sitting on the the top rope and he jumped up hit a Drop kick and followed up with this uh, choke bomb that was awesome. There was a lot that um, Moose did in this match that was very impressive. There's one moment where he jumped up to the top rope, springboarded onto the other side of the top rope, and turned around and did a crossbody, which is like just for a guy his size is so insane. I've seen him high fly a lot, but I've never seen him do that particular move. Uh, keep in mind, I'm not the biggest like i'm not as familiar with all of moose's body of work most of what i've seen from him honestly is from his roh days more so than anything else yeah um haven't seen as much of the impact work as other people have but man he looked like bro he's always been impressive physically but i've always thought seen him as kind of like a bruiserish kind of puffy looking like you know i've always thought of his body type is very similar to like rusev or michael elkin guys of that kind of ilk but he's really gotten himself into a different kind of shape now, and he's so cut up, man. Like he looked like like Lex Luger almost. Like <laughs> he's he's an Adonis, bro. Yeah, man, that man was shredded. That man looks like he's a world champion. And then um, all his drop kicks. There was he drop kicked Ishii when Ishii was sat on the top rope, and he kicked above his head like like it was that's. That kind of vertical is really crazy. Yeah, just yeah, Mooks is super impressive here. Uh, very hard hitting. Obviously, a lot of great um, you know forearm exchanges here. Ishii, you know, best bumble selling uh, out there. Oh, and you know the ba- the basic gist of the story was um, it's one that Ishii has done, especially on the road against larger opponents. So very similar to like the Chris Hero. Or the Walter, or the uh, t- or the uh, Keith Lee matches in Rev Pro, but you know he's got a bigger guy and he's trying to take the bigger guy off of his feet. And then the whole match, he's trying to get the brainbuster and he just can't get it, can't get it. And then at the very, very end, it's one of the most protective finishers in wrestling. Finally, does hit it and puts Moose away. And all the while, Moose is throwing everything, you know, even the kitchen sink at Ishii, and Ishii's not going away. And so it was kind of like this. The, the match is basically the story of the little engine that can and does. Right. And, of course, I'll also fill it in with some, you know, great little, like, 
no selling fighting spirit spots, you know, Ishii kicking out at one, Moose kicking out at zero. Um, oh, yeah, there was a guy behind us who oh, just... Oh, bro. Lo- bro, yeah. He this, loved This man Moose. was going so freaking hard for Moose, man. It was so... And no- normally, I wouldn't like someone who's going this hard for anybody because it was borderline obnoxious, but this guy was so funny. Yeah, he, he was like, funny for the, most, yeah, for the most of the night, but yeah, he was going... He was so- really funny. He was going but, so hard for Moose. I was so happy when Ishii dropped Moose on his head with that brain buster in one. <laughs> when, uh, when Ishii kicked out at one, I was like, one count, one count. And then I just kind of left it. And then Moose kicked out at zero. And this guy's like, no count, no count. <laughs> and, then, like, and then when Ishii won, I turned around and we just high fived because he was like, "Ah, damn it! Like my dude lost. Yeah. He's going so hard for him." Uh, yeah, but uh, awesome, Matt. And it was funny the whole time. He's like, "They don't know. They don't know yeah. about you, Moose. <laughs> you my boy, Moose. Let him know. Let him know who Let you him- are. <laughs> Let him know." <laughs> oh, uh, so man. funny, yo! I messed with that kid. Um, him and his girlfriend. They're sitting there. Uh, before the show started, I'm just sitting down and they're like, I wonder who John Moxley's, you know, tag team partner's gonna be. And I turn around, and I was like, It's Orange Cassidy. And they're like, Oh, you you think so? And I was like, I know so. I saw him. And they're like, <laughs> What? <laughs> and I had to tell him, No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Working. <laughs> but E.T. picks up the win here. And then, um, you know, we thought we we're going into our next match tonight. Yeah, and then then... suddenly. We hear the music of one former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, the Kingpin, the Commonwealth Kingpin. I, I didn't recognize it because I'm used to da 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 da. Like, started playing, I heard they're hearing, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" I was like, that's Osprey music. I turn to you, I turn to Chris. I'm like, "That's Osprey music." That's and the video plays, the Titan Tron video plays, and next thing you know, Will Osprey comes walking down to the ring, black bag in his hand, uh, dressed in the nines. You know, full suit, got chain, sunglasses on. Yeah, I remember when he first took on this Commonwealth Kingpin persona and I criticized the suit choices and the watch choices and how hokey they were. This was the, a far cry from that. This man looked like he should be, like, smuggling some coke out in, like, Miami. This man was, <laughs> dre- this man was dressed right for the role. Yes, um, this, and, this man he, was looking fresh. And he cut an awesome promo he worked the crap out of the crowd. He was going in on Kevin Kelly. Every not only was he cutting a great promo, which he doesn't usually do. Like I don't think Will Ospreay is a very good promo, honestly. No. But on this night, he was on fire. And the other thing that was great about it was everything he said was true. And you know, when you have a heel that like can work in like elements of reality to like kind of. Like you, you hate him, but you also hate that he's right. That's 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 the other part of it, and like that was him all night that night. Yeah. So he came out, said that he's medically cleared. He's like, you know, there's, there's a big tournament coming up in Japan. G1, G1. I will not be competing in the G1. And he talks about uh, New Japan tripping over the world title. He only needed four months to heal. Um, and he does agree with having a fighting champion. But you look at John Moxley, who was the, the champ for over the year, didn't defend it, and they didn't strip him of the title. And that's true. And he was also like, you know, the rule with New Japan is supposed to be six months. And they didn't give him the six months. They just stripped him. And then um, 
you know, you want to talk about monstrous pops too. Like he got a huge, yeah, he got a huge, huge, huge ovation, but then he turned around and like said, doesn't give a crap about the fans. Doesn't want to be in LA. So like that, that like completely just turned everything into heat immediately. Right. And yeah, he's not going back to Japan. He's going to make new Japan strong, his home. Um, he pulled out another IWGB world heavyweight title says he's the real World champion Chingo is a interim champion, a fake champion, and that he's willing to defend his title not just in New Japan, but at any of uh, any door that leaves the key under the mat. He complained about you know New Japan and and um, Shingo proclaiming him as the real champion when his belt is a fake belt and all his friends fighting him for his belt. So he's like almost acting like it's a conspiracy that like <laughs> yeah. Shingo and and all the guys he's fighting are his friends, and they've all, you know, conspired to get the belt off Will because they can't beat Will is basically what he's implying. And then he's like, you know, that the guy that's supposed to be champion, the guy I beat with a broken neck, and he called him a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Will and then um Kevin Kelly's like, come on, and he's like, oh shut up, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, you know, thank God it's a real star here because if we had to rely on these, you know, weak LA dojo boys, this would be a horrible show. Uh, especially said fragile Carl Fredericks in particular, and he's just burying you know the L.A. L- dojo. Little, little Clark Connors. Yeah, uh, and they come they come out and he's like, look at these two bitches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and then uh, they have all the the young lions kind of in between them. He's like, get between us because if those if they come through, I mollop them. You know, I take them out. You know, I don't want to break them. And right. he sounds like he almost sounds like like. Conor McGregor, the way he's talking, like a little bit, like I feel like he must be studying Conor McGregor. He to probably, be honest with he you. probably is. Um, and then uh, about out of nowhere, TJP comes out and he's trying to hold, you know, keep the peace, hold back Fredericks and Connors. And he's like, "Look, this man was the original LA Jojo. He was trained by Antonio Inoki. Now he's a babysitter for Shibata's boys." Yeah, and he talked about Shibata and said Shibata can't hold a candle to him, and he would break Shibata, and um. Yeah, and then, you know, the the dojo guys get in there. They act like everything's going to cool off. And then as TJP's turning around, he attacks TJP with the belt, runs out of the ring. He threw a water bottle at him. Oh, that's right. Okay. He didn't attack him. He just threw water at him and then then ran out. Yeah. Jumped the barricade, ran out like a coward, talked all that shit, and then, you know, just got out of there. And it was quite a moment. And, I mean, just the news, the news that, like – not only is he cleared, but he's staying in America. And not only is he staying in America, but he's got his own version of the IWGP title that is here now. And maybe it's a non-recognized IWGP title, non-sanctioned. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the real belt. Like, we don't know what the deal is. But, uh, you know, the, we've heard some some reports of weak ticket sales in Philadelphia and Texas. And I got to imagine if hypothetically – Will Ospreay's on those shows. It's going to do nothing but elevate ticket sales. Plus, um, when people started to chant other names from AEW, he was like, "He's like, we don't want to hear about you know those weak bitches." He's like, yeah. "He's like, if they came here, what are they going to do? Nothing. I'll break them." Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he shut that down real quick. Uh, yeah. We did have some questions about this uh, promo here. First one, Rambo and Slam Pig. Would it have been? Would it? Would it have hit better for you if Osprey revealed the old version of the IWGP title on Saturday? 
No, not at all. Not even a little bit. Because while, yes, we like that design better, that's not the belt that Will, Will Ospreay never, ever held that belt. He never even fought for that belt. So he has no connection to it in any sense. So, no. I much prefer the Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon. We both got the exact same belt. Who's the real champion? <laughs> exactly. And then I'm sure, you know, you could have Osprey, you know, quote unquote, do world title matches in America as Shingo is doing world title matches in Japan. And then it's got to come to a head. Yeah. And that's cool and all, but it's going to be confusing for someone like me that really cares about like title defense records and, lineage. and numbers and stuff and lineages. <laughs> <laughs> like, what, 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 what does this mean? <laughs> Uh, his other question is this G1 is going to be missing a lot of the foreign star power this fall if things stay as is do you think there will be any Japanese free agents or lone talent to fill out the blocks a change of format or some juniors and young lines filling out the field I think it's possible that all those things could happen um, also recently Tanahashi during his Q&A was asked about could the forbidden door open between Japanese talent and he said something cool is in the works and we don't know what that means, but like hypothetically, maybe someone from one of these, you know, other t- companies or freelancers could get involved. You know, the, the, another thing too, again, we don't, we're not the experts on the situation with the passports and everything, but you know, we talked about all these releases that happened with WWE recently. A, a lot of these foreign towns aren't going back because they're unhappy with, you know, the quarantining and staying in the dojo and all that. But what if like, you're like, let's say if you're Jonah rock and you're trying to get work with new Japan and you want to make a mark and there's an open opportunity to maybe get, um, you know, the visa situation fixed in time. Maybe you could see someone like that show up. I don't know. Right. And especially because, you know, guys like Jonah rock who were already, are here in the States are having, you know, they have to get a new visa because their WWE is the one that provides them visas. So, uh, you know, trying to get in with New Japan, that, that could be a way to, you know, get another visa and be able to either work U.S. or get across for G1. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, I think there are some open doors. There's also the possibility that, like, we don't see too, ma- too many outside seats filled. Like, they do have enough heavyweights in Japan to potentially fill the G1, but... You know, pretty soon those uh, announcements should be made. They're forthcoming, so we'll wait to see. But, you know, I'd love to see, like, a Hiromu Takahashi in there or, you know, someone from the, you know, from another company. That that would be so cool, you know? Yeah, Hiromu would be cool. I mean, everybody was, you know, dying for him to be in it last year. Um, a guy like Great Okan, I think it's kind of, it's probably a lock for his first G1. Um, with the year Kojima's having, I think he could, he could be a G1 guy. Yuji Nagata, I know he already, you know, technically had his last G1, but... The way that he's been going this year as well, um, and the way that they've been rely- relying on him too. I mean, he's a guy that they could slide in there. Kojima. Yeah, I said Kojima. Yeah. Um, Hawaiian Punch BV asked us, how likely is it that there will be another double gold dash in Wrestle Kingdom, especially with Osprey holding the real title? Maybe Naito wins the G1 and challenges Shingo, while Okada or Ibushi challenge Osprey. New Japan can book Naito versus Osprey for night two. Sell a bunch of tickets for the Tokyo Dome if it's still not under renovation. And, you know, that he brings up a lot of good points. Uh, there there are speculations that the Tokyo Dome will be under renovation. And also there might be potential issues with just um, the business side of booking the G1 at that time of the year this year and all the restrictions. 
there is a speculation that possibly we don't we haven't heard this from anybody, but this is just kind of the wild. This is the speculation that's out there right now from a lot of people. They might not be able to do the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom this year. Yeah, and we talked about that a little bit last week. We had a question about that. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see where Wrestle Kingdom does end up if it's not going to be the Tokyo Dome. But this whole double gold dash, I think. This is something we talked about with Chris, and I've been seeing it all online. You know, as long as there's going to be two dome shows, it seems like the game plan has to be double gold dash. And so, this you know whole real world champ interim champ situation sets up the perfect scenario for there to be a reason to be another double gold dash situation where you have the you know the unification match on one night, and then the G1 winner facing the unified champion on the other night. Well, you know, this isn't unlike what happened when Brock Lesnar took the IWGB title hostage and then the IGF kind of held that up as their world title. They called that the IWGP third belt. And when he relinquished it to Kurt Angle, who was with TNA at the time and was doing business with new Japan, he came back to new Japan as the champion and they ended up doing a Tokyo dome where Shinsuke Nakamura, who was the IWGP champion defended his belt. And then Kurt Angle defended his IWGP version title against Yuji Nagata, which then led to another Tokyo Dome match between Nakamura and Angle to unify those titles. So there is some precedent for this sort of thing already. My my thinking about it is this. Um, if there had never been a double gold dash, quote-unquote, in the past two years, I think that this would be awesome. Yeah. You know, in fact, I actually think that compared to the builds of the last two, this might end up being the strongest build. And the one that makes the most sense. And the one that makes the most logical booking sense. But it has that tainted, you know, sort of like, oh, they've done this the last two years and there was a lot of issues with the booking. So, and now we're going to the well one more time. You know, there's kind of that feeling. But maybe it will still turn out good because ultimately this does make a lot of sense. And. Honestly, the scenario throughout you throughout here, Hawaiian Punch. Um, as soon as I saw that Osprey wasn't going to be in the G one, I, I told Chris and um, Jeremy. And I don't usually say something like this so early in advance, but I think Naito's winning the G one. I've thought it for a while, and this solidifies it for me. Yeah, I, mean, I, I was already also feeling Naito. I just feel like Naito versus Shingo is a money match to do at the Dome. Agreed, and then. Yeah, I think that the scenario plays out almost exactly how you said. I think that for me, Okada and um, Osprey makes the most sense in the Dome again, a rematch in the Dome. Mm -hmm. And then you have the winners of those matches the next night fight each other to unify the belt. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You you get, you know, Osprey to get his, his win back on Okada in the Dome. You do an awesome Shingo uh, versus Naito matchup. That people, you know, interfaction matchup, and then you do the final kind of big matchup between Osprey and Shingo, you know, a big stage for their their rivalry at the, at the Dome. Uh, and I don't want to jump too far ahead. I think we're we're kind of booking the territory here. But uh, <laughs> yeah. let's say Osprey wins and Shingo wins, and you wind up with Naito and Okada. It's having them go up against each other again in that consolation match actually makes more sense than any of the other constellation matches because because of their history in the dome and everything like that and maybe you even have some prior build maybe in the G1 between the two of them 
that might be like the final dome like solidifying match between those two and that would be a big deal even though you know that'd be like the one consolation match where people would be like okay i still really want to see it especially in japan yeah it'd be a, it'd be a huge deal yeah that'd be a big deal and then just be a, another fire card you're main eventing shingo osprey and a semi-main of okada naito like yeah. huge yeah that, that sounds awesome um so yeah i think that that's kind of what we and you know what maybe none of this happens but like I don't know, man. We're giving Gato, if you're listening, someone <laughs> from the office, we are giving you guys some fire right now. Uh, like, our new uh, our new buddy uh, Junko from the uh, New Japan offices. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Oscar Rooney asked, with so many Westerners not participating in the G1 in Japan, how uh, how about having one in America? Do we want to go down that route? Because I've, I've got thoughts on it. Yeah, let's go. I mean, we've had a lot of people – Asking us about this, you know, some of the group chats were in a lot of people talking about, oh, you know, an American block or a, a separate G1, you know, America version. So, yeah, go for it. Okay. I, I'll say this. I think possibly, and this is a, a pretty big possibility, possibly, um, maybe there might have been a point where you could have maybe done a portion of the G1 in America and done bigger business. That is possible. But it's not 2017 anymore. It's 2021. And if anything, the show that we just attended, even though it sold out, proved to me more than anything that New Japan right now is not a hot product in the States. And this is evidenced by the lack of ticket sales on these other subsequent shows. We've also had previous shows for the past two years in America that kind of show show the same thing. Now, I do think that the partnerships they're working on with these other outside companies is helping. And I think that probably helped them sell the tickets that they just did at this show. But let's be very clear from the business side of things. The G one climax is the biggest tour that they do all year. They make the most amount of money for their whole fiscal year during that time. And then during dome season, um, and I could – right now, let's just be very clear. There's no way that they could do an A block in Japan and a B block in America and then have a finals in like Japan. That would be fiscal suicide. So there's only two ways I could – I mean let's just take that off the table. There's no way that that would draw. You know what I mean? It just – it wouldn't. They would not do big business. Right. I mean, we, right. We, we saw what happened with just one night in the G1 here in the U.S., Right, they made money, and they probably got a good deal on that place through the Access TV and the Mark Cuban uh, contact. But like, it was not what what they expected, you know. Right. So, so let's take that off the table. Let me let me throw two two possibilities that are possible to you. Um, one is you break the tournament up into four blocks, like I've talked about in the past, and you either have a five or six man block here in the states, and then you do the other three in Japan. And then you take a and then with that you have to have a five or six man block. So you're talking about four to five nights, maybe six nights of G1 action in the states. That I think is feasible. But then again, you have to stack it. You know, we're talking big stars, and then you have to really run the risk that it's going to draw well here in the states and run the right markets at the right time in consecutive fashion, and you know. America is not really that kind of like 
you know, they talk about burning out the territory. There's not too many places where you can be in close proximity and run five, six shows like that, you know, and, and draw well and do big business. Whereas if you had that, that those same five or six shows in Japan, they're gar- even with the limited restrictions, because it's the G1, you are guaranteed they're going to sell out. They're going to do business because it is the G1. Um, maybe it could be worth it if with the restrictions, even with the sellout, the money might be less then per, the, per, the possibility of running bigger open shows in America, even if they didn't sell out, maybe that trade-off is worth it. But I'm going to guess no. Uh, there, there just seems to be too many moving pieces with four blocks, two continents. Like That just seems like a mess. Uh, plus, think about like all the production issues they've had in, in America in the past. I don't think so. Um, the other option is you do your regular G1 in Japan, and then you do a mini G1 in America, and maybe you just run that as part of the strong tapings, or you do it on strong, right? And at that point, you're adding on to the G1. You're not detracting from it. But then again, you're at the end of it, what would the natural progression be? You'd probably need to have the American G1 champion fight the, the proper G1 champion. And then the American champion's probably going to lose, right? Right. Unless it's unless it's like Will Ospreay or and something. And you would have to put it on somebody that can get into Japan because we still are having issues getting people visas. Right. And, I mean, if, if it made monetary sense to do that, great. But I would feel, I don't know, maybe kind of – they haven't done too many round robins in America with the New Japan of USA product yet. So I'd probably be cool with it. But I also feel like if it's – Anything like a lot of the tournaments they've done on strong where it's like 10 minute matches, you know, three at a time, you know, I don't know. I just don't know how I'd feel about that. Like it doesn't that wouldn't feel like the G1 to me. The G1 are 30 minute time limit matches that are epic that are, you know, these great boisterous nights that just unless they were doing the full access TV level production or like what they just did with the resurgence, like full five to six, you know, nights of g1 in the u.s i just don't think it's worth it the bottom line is i went through that to say this it just doesn't really make a lot of monetary sense to me to try to do a u uh, a g1 in the u.s unless the product got hot enough to warrant them doing that you know right and i think you know we're, we're going to talk about a lot of the announcements they made as far as shows coming in the future and I feel like if you're going to do a G1 in America or a mini G1 that they would have announced it at Resurgence and one of these upcoming shows would have been called, you know, G1 Climax USA. I think they would have capitalized on that. Can I tell you one scenario that I just thought of that might make it worth it? Yeah. AEW and maybe someone like Impact or Ring of Honor partners with them. Mm. But then, then again... I'm not talking about, you know, having like, who's like a, a mid name that like is pretty, pretty big. Like, I'm not talking about having Frankie Kazarian on it. Right. It needs to be like Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, Moxley. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Cause it's the G1. And then it would need to be like Bandito. um, Yep. Jonathan Gresham. uh if no. you can get big, if you can get bigger, worthwhile stars from those companies who are proven draws to partner up with New Japan guys in a quote unquote G one in America, you'd probably do big business. But then again, what's the deal with the G one? You got to take losses, and especially in a 
smaller format with like, let's say if it was just five or six guys, you're talking about less matches, more, more quick losses. I don't see Tony Khan being cool with Darby Allen going in and eating two or three pinfalls. You know what I mean? Right. And then once again, you still have to try and find a way to get the winner into Japan. Right. So yeah, I just want to, and we probably spent too much time on that, but the, the whole reason I, I do that is just because we get so many questions about this, and I think people really need to think about the economics of it. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Muzza. He says, how did Osprey, how was Osprey able to make it to the U.S. yet Shooter could not? Uh, that's a really, really <laughs> great question. And in fact, you know, me and Jeremy were talking with a lot of people this weekend. We started thinking a lot about it, and we were like, you know what? There really isn't a travel restriction from the UK to the US right now. I just like, you know, I know the Delta variant is like blowing up and I'm not as connected to the news as everybody else. So when they were like, yeah, due to travel restrictions, can't make it. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. But then like, wait a second, what's Ilya Dragunov doing in WWE? (laughs) What's Walter doing here? What's Walter doing here? (laughs) What's Will Ospreay doing here? And then any other number of guys that live in the UK, they're just coming, going, coming, yeah, yeah, how did Pac make it to Dynamite? And then I'm like, oh, wait, maybe they're lying to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you, you know, we've been hearing some not great reports on Shota Umino's latest appearances. I've heard reports of him being out of shape and just not having great matches in the last a couple of matches he had. Yes, we did hear that. And, um, you know, if if those reports are true that he's out of shape and not ring ready and sort of, you know, if that stuff is true, then maybe they didn't think he was ready for a show of this caliber right now, which you combine that with the fact that other guys are able to get in and out of the country perfectly fine. I think there's smoke to that fire. Right. And I know some people are pointing to, oh, well, he's booked this Saturday to face Ricky Knight Jr., well, guess who else is booked for Saturday? Will Ospreay. He's going to go face Doug Williams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Muzza asked with Osprey. This might be the first time Muzza's asked like good questions. <laughs> with Osprey bringing out his own IWGB World Heavyweight Championship, will this lead to another double gold dash uh, of sorts for Wrestle Kingdom? And we're thinking, survey says. Yes. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Then Dom Homie 101, any thoughts on the potential of who's the real IWGP World Heavyweight storyline, how the story play out, which I think we kind of pretty much touched ladder on. Ladder match. <laughs> ladder match at Wrestle Kingdom. You know, they they probably could. Dude, Shingo and Osprey would have an awesome ladder match. Shingo and Osprey in a ladder match in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom. I know that's, like, not, like, a purist sort of thing, but, like, they would probably tear the house down in a ladder match. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just thinking about that. Man. You have two belts. Anytime you got two belts, <laughs> you gotta like... do a ladder match. <laughs> well, let's, um, let's move on with the rest of this card here. So, uh, seven match of the night, we had the Good Brothers, Doc Gowles, and Carl Anderson defeating John Moxley and his mystery partner, which ended up being Blue Justice Yuji Nagata. Ten minutes and thirty three seconds. Um, so, unfortunately for these guys, there happened to be random fireworks. Going off in the background during their match So you know people are you know Chanting about the fireworks not paying attention to the match And it it was like a Full on production Now here's the weird thing so When we pulled up to the building that night I definitely heard a marching band Playing 
like, and I was like, is there like a band practice? You know, is it football season? I don't, you know, I don't watch shoot sports. I don't know what's going on. So then once the show started, we heard a concert. There was definitely rap. There was definitely singers. And then it looked like up in one of those like sky boxes, there was lights and stuff um, kind of like going. And I was like, it looks like they're having a party up there. Yeah. But there was no lights on the field. And there was definitely there definitely wasn't anyone on the field anymore, you know, so there but um, that skybox was like just so it makes sense. If you're the hard camera to the left of the way the hard camera is facing up in the bleak, up in the skybox, that's where some sort of party or something was going yeah, on. They were getting lit over there. <laughs> they were getting lit. I mean, dude, they were like there was one point where I heard like get down on it. Duh. And I was like I was like five with it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> But then um, in the middle of, like, their set, like, the fireworks went off, and that was to the right of the hard cam. And, I mean, they were, like, full on, like, boof, 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 and it went on and on. This was, like, WrestleMania level, like. Yeah, yeah, like, AEW's never had pyro this good. Tony Khan probably wish he had this for the exploding barbed wire match. Yeah, bro, it was incredible. <laughs> and um, shout out to, you know, the Good Brothers. I don't get, usually give them that much props, but, like, one uh, whoever it was, I think it was uh, Carl Anderson, he's like, I'm going to lock on this headlock and, you know, just wait this shit out. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, like, it was really hard to pay attention to what was going on. The funny thing was, like, Mox, when it was happening, Mox, like, started playing into it and, like, started looking over, like, what the heck is going on over there? <laughs> yeah. And then shout out to Osprey. Osprey took advantage too and took a picture in front of the of the fireworks too. Yeah, yeah. Osprey pretended like the fireworks were going off due to his return to New Japan Pro Wrestling, <laughs> like it was for him yeah. specifically, <laughs> which was really funny. Um, yeah, and then like the but the concert kept going on. Like there was one point like towards the end of the show where like you heard the people up in the stand and she's like, "All right, well this could be the last song of our set," and I was like. Oh my god! Like, <laughs> how did how did nobody coordinate this? Yeah, uh, but you know what? With that and it being the Good Brothers, like this was just a match. Like, the the, the whole thing was every. I don't think anyone thought the match was going to be good. I think the big the big question was who is going to be UG, or uh, Moxley's partner, and that was the intrigue. I will say this from an insidery New Japan fan sort of perspective: Blue Justice makes the most sense yeah. because Moxley, uh, if it wasn't shooter, that is Moxley really has had no partners or teammates or friendships in new Japan thus far. And the one guy that he's feuded with where at the end of it, there was a huge level of respect paid was the match with, uh, Yuji Nagata on dynamite. And after that, like the fact that they would team together kind of does actually make a kayfabe it, in kayfabe makes sense. Um, I would also say this, Eugene Nagata's the one guy who was on this show that's shown up on Dynamite that didn't seem to get that translation of popularity brought over. Um, and I really thought with him being the surprise guy and having shown up on Dynamite that there'd be a better reception, but it also might be a case of failed expectations because people had different ideas in their mind they thought it was gonna be damn brian's brian danielson or <laughs> yeah there, there are people who who missed the the umino news thought it was going to be shooter uh 
yeah, people thought it was going to be Sammy Callahan was one of the big names that was fancied about. I mean, there were so many names that were, were getting thrown around that weekend that, yeah, some people could be disappointed that it wasn't whoever they were expecting. The one thing is, like, it was pretty clear the Good Brothers were going to win this one. We, I think we speculated last week that that was the most likely outcome. So, like, whoever it is that you wanted to come out, they were probably going to eat a pinfall to the Good Brothers. So, you know, my whole thing is, like, it could have been much worse, you know? Yeah. As much as I as much as I thought it was gonna be Sammy Callahan, I don't like Sammy Callahan. So, you know, it could have been a worse outcome. I was glad to get Eugene Agata as the surprise guy on the show. You know, it kind of gave it more of a New Japan flavor, but then again, I'm biased because we're a New Japan based, you know, <laughs> fan podcast. Right. Yeah, I, I, I love that it was Nagata, but you know, overall as far as the match, it, it was it was fine. Um towards it probably would have been better, but there were so many outside things going on that it detracted. Right. Um, so towards the end of the match, Moxley pulled out a chair, ends up backfiring him on him. They hit the magic killer to Mox on the chair. Then two on one on Agata in the ring. They hit the magic killer on him. Good brothers get the win. But the real big talking point comes post match. You know, good brothers are doing their, their post match promo and celebrating. And then with no music out of nowhere, the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga, Tangaloa, Come strutting down to the ring, and we have a face-off between God and the Good Brothers. Yeah, and this was um, something that has been speculated for a while now. People have been wondering, where is God? People have been wondering, what's going to be the outcome of this, you know, supposed feud between Carl Anderson and Tamatanga? And you know. Even before they started like playing, you know, games with one another on Twitter and the jawjacking and back and forth, we'd already kind of speculated about this, you know, last year when the reports were coming in that, you know, the Good Brothers were on their way to New Japan at some point once the pandemic sort of let up. And how would that power dynamic play out based on the fact that they're former Bullet Club and there's a new dominant Bullet Club tag team? So we kind of knew this was eventually going to happen. Yeah, and obviously it, it was a great angle for this, you know, Bullet Club crowd here in California. They were eating this up and really loved this confrontation between these guys. Um, there was just, you know, a lot of jaw jacking. Uh, Anderson kind of told gals we should back off. They bailed, and we didn't get any physical confrontation, but clearly down crowd the line. Crowd was disappointed. Yeah, crowd, you know, wanted them to fight. It wanted there to be some kind of, you know, brawl or whatever and got nothing. And so it looks like at some point down the line, we are going to get G.O.D. versus Good Brothers. Also, the first time that we've gotten both uh, G.O.D. themes on the same night because Hikaleo comes out to the previous theme, which I've always loved. Yeah. And so I'm glad he's kind of brought that back. But, you know, the thing is with this is like the Carl, like the Good Brothers, like Tama has his own subsequent like subsect of fans with Tama's Island and stuff. And his online following, and he's kind of like cultivated his own like working persona on the internet. And then so has the Good Brothers, you know, with booze and the, with the boys, and you know, talking shop, talking shop mania, and all that. And so there is like a quote unquote Bullet Club su- like subset of fandom that I don't think we're like really a part of, and maybe unaware of like how deep that goes. And I think that this is almost like a U.S. sort of fan service feud for those types of fans as well which is smart it kind of plays into what they got going on and then for the for the rest of us there's still the general story of the history of the bullet club that plays into it all you know 
Yeah, and uh, today Tamatonga tweeted out the the firing squad T-shirt saying, whose side are you on? So, you know, we're starting back up this, you know, Bullet Club Civil War <laughs> that we didn't get really finished. <laughs> and then and then there's another subse- subsect of fan that is like a wrestling purist and kind of considers both teams to be like shitty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of people we're connected to. They're like, that, is there anything that sounds more mid than a G.O.D. Good Brothers feud? <laughs> You know what? <laughs> if these guys maybe had like a plunder match, yes, uh, on, on a pay per view, I think that could be pretty good. In ROH, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> if they have a if they have a plunder match in Ring of Honor specifically, yeah, you know, or or if it's like anything goes match in AEW, then it'd probably be awesome. But I can't see in New Japan. It's probably gonna suck. <laughs> I'm just saying, if, if they do it on one of these California shows. No DQ, crowd will probably be into it, and it could probably be all right. So the next match of the night, after all that Bullet Club turmoil, we bring in another Bullet Club guy, the leader of the Bullet Club, in fact, as we get the first of two double main events, the never open weight title match between Jay White, the champion, defending and defeating David Finley. And boy, oh boy, was this a unique crowd experience. <laughs> yeah, so you had the great little VTR before the match explaining the history between these guys, going back to the Noge Dojo and showing you know, the record and showing you know Finley beating Jay in the New Japan Cup. Everything looks like this matchup. Then, you know, Dave Finley comes out first as a challenger. No reaction. Nobody cared that Dave Finley was there. Yeah, I, I heard a lot of people say he got booed, and like he might have a little bit, but it was more just apathy. Like the right. crowd just did at, not at care. First, yeah, at first it did not care. Like when he came out, it was like no crowd. Like pretty much any everybody else on the card got a better reaction coming out than Dave Finley did. And now I, I'll say this in defense of it all: sometimes in sports, especially in combat sports, which you know I'm a big fan of. Um, Think of, like, for instance, Conor McGregor, you know, anytime someone fights Conor McGregor, like, the crowd is, like, especially in Vegas, which, like, might be his town, or, like, I remember the one time he had a fight in Ireland, you know, those are, like, hostile crowds that, like, are there to see their guy, and the guy that he's fighting is, like, the lamb sent to slaughter, and those guys come out there and, like, it jitters them, it, like, gets to them, and, like, I know we don't always see situations like that in pro wrestling, but this like reminded me more of like an MMA fight where a big giant star is fighting, you know, a prominent guy, but someone that the crowd is not in favor of. And that's what this felt like. Yeah. And then, you know, Jay White's music hits, big pop, big reaction. He comes out and he just starts too sweeting everybody. Like he, he, he never does that. He always pulls it away, his jaw jacking at the crowd. I've never seen him do that. This man was fired you know, up. He had his, he had the fucking the, the, the Wolfpack logo, and and he's just running through the crowd like this man never. has. This man's never gotten this kind of reception in his whole career, probably. Like that was, I kind of felt like it was a cool moment, but I was like, what's going on? Yeah, you know, like, big, you know, two sweet whoop whoop chance, switchblade chance. Let's go, oh yeah, Jay. All, yeah, all night the two sweet whoop whoop stuff. I was like, dude, like Marty Skrull's not part of the Bullet Club anymore, like. There haven't been two. They don't even do too sweet in the book. I guess they do the two. They, they do the underneath. Yeah, Give the underneath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was like, man, you guys are from a different era. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, man. And then 
the match, uh, you know, I can't really speak to the match. Like I haven't rewatched it in the moment. It felt really dry and bland. The, the crowd only popped anytime Jay White did anything. And anytime Dave Finley did stuff, they either booed or sat on their like hands. Like it was weird. Yeah, I mean, both guys were working extremely hard. I did rewatch this match because I wanted to get a better feel for it, you know, watching it on TV versus being in the crowd. And these guys, they worked really hard. I mean, it was a kind of by the numbers, not not as a bad thing, but, you know, this is the Jay White, Dave Finley kind of playbook. They had, did a lot of their signature spots, um, a lot of callbacks for their previous matches. And it was a really, they worked really hard, a lot of cool spots. You know, Jay did his, his signature, you know, Saito over the top rope to, to Finley. Um, you know, sleeper suplexes, you know, kind of a lot of signature stuff. And, yeah, just for whatever reason, you know, fans were into Finley. But I still thought it was a, a good match, but probably would have been better if the crowd was bought more into the story and more into Finley. Considering how great Dave Finley's run through the New Japan Cup was and how great his win over Jay White was in that cup, this was a little... This was disappointing, and you know what? Quite frankly, this is probably the wrong crowd to put this match in front of if your intention was to simultaneously get both guys over. Now, if your goal was what they did here was to elevate Jay, (laughs) (laughs) then this is the perfect place to do it. Now, uh, I want to talk about one thing before we – we got a question from Dom Homie 101. He said, thoughts on the rumors of Dave Finley looking to take his talents to New York – AKA McMahonville, AKA the E, AKA <laughs> WWE. Yeah. Um, so basically, for those of you that don't know, there was recent um, Wrestling Observer Live episodes where every day they were interviewing various different individuals leading up to resurgence to try and plug the show. So they did like a, a short segment with Dave Finley, short segment with Rocky Romero one day, Chris Dickinson. J.R. Crato. So they were kind of like just doing press for the show. And Dave Finley made some comments on that show that have been interpreted by some as maybe not a, just not even really pushing the importance of this show, but also talking about outside things. Like he talked about how like he really admires Kyle Riley would like to work with him one day. People interpreted that as me. He wants to go to NXT. He talked about how he would love to learn from Shawn Michaels. And Triple H. <laughs> Triple H. Um, talked about how he preferred the Western style to the Japanese style. And he didn't know what the future held for him. And a lot of people have interpreted all of that to mean he's going to NXT. Um, and maybe maybe that is his goal. You know, we talked about the Gaijin unrest this past year. And we right. Talked about- and, and during that Gaijin arrest, there was, you know, stories of Day of uh, Fit Finley saying, yeah, you know, my son's unhappy. I'm, I'm you know, trying to, you know, get him over to WWE kind of thing. So his contract's not much longer. I believe it's coming up possibly. I could be wrong, but I think it's like January. And, you know, he was one of the guys that got COVID and had to quarantine in the dojo and wasn't happy with how they handled the travel with that. So was Jay White, and that's why he also declined to go back for the G1. So, you know, a lot of people called those stories bullshit, but I think we're seeing evidence that those stories <laughs> right. were, not, were not bullshit. Um, do I think this means, means he's going to NXT? I don't really know, and I don't think – I didn't think that when I heard it personally. Um, but after people pointed out those facts, I was like, hey, maybe maybe that is what he's sounding like. Maybe he knows he's kind of hit his ceiling in Japan. Um 
But at the same time, he could just be a guy that was trying to stir the pot and draw interest to him and what he's doing. You know what I mean? Right. It could have been him, you know, negotiating his contract. Contract's up. I'm going to say all this, you know, stuff to throw out signals. The New Japan office can offer me a sweet deal. I wouldn't put that past him either. But a lot of people took that to basically mean, like, fuck this guy. He he doesn't have, um, you know, devotion to New Japan, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people have des- thus in turn interpreted his reactions to the show as being caused by that interview. Let me just say this. Of course, there probably were some fans that that, that affected, but that crowd was not a – ultra smart Dave Meltzer-esque observer board newsletter reading crowd who listens to Wrestling Observer Live on the Daily. No, 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 no. As we <laughs> talked about before, this was a crowd that bought this show for Jay White almost day one, way before those comments were ever made. I don't if, – if Dave Finley went out there and cut the most incredible presser promo – that was endearing to new Japan and really hyped up the shit and like got him over to those listening. He would have still got the exact same response. This was a no hoper situation. This guy was never going to get a positive response in that building that night. That was Jay white's crowd. Yeah. Another thing too, this, this feud, I mean, it was hot in March when yep, a long time ago, when Finley got the upset win over Jay and the Wrestle Grand Slam was originally going to happen in May. Like, it, it was hot then. Then, now, it's it's August now. The feud's cooled off. Yeah, they, they did some stuff on Impact, the Impact before, you know, they've been feuding Finn Juice and Beyblade, and, you know, Jay's been laying out Finley on Impact TV. But again, that's, you know, 125,000, 150,000 people watching Impact. How many of those people were at the show? Probably not many, so a lot of people really didn't see any of the somewhat build they try to do for this match. And, and you know, speaking to that, it's like, I'm, I'm not against New Japan having some angles that they run on Impact, you know. Um, there's been a lot of talks when these different companies that are doing the cross-pollination angles, it's like, well, who's this benefiting more? Who's this benefiting less? And everything like that. And I think in some cases they're trying to, maybe not focus so much on that and basically work more on like um, synergy and working together. That being said, I don't think that that particular platform has been the most beneficial platform to build up this particular feud or angle um, based on the, the size of the viewing audience. Like you mentioned, Jeremy, and like, you know, I don't think impact has like the strongest, like, YouTube, you know, social media kind of presence. There wasn't buzz for the match. If anything, there's buzz for Jay White, and about that's about it. And that was kind of proven here. And um, yeah, it's a kind of unfortunate for Dave Finley. Like this, he was sort of seeming like he was on the cusp of stardom with the New Japan audience, but that has not translated to the West. <laughs> not <laughs> like at all. Like yeah, at all. Not at all. I felt bad, bro. And like, you know what? Like. I was trying to be, like, one of the guys that was, like, going for Dave Finley. But, like, I had to do it in sort of a facetious way because (laughs) I had to be sarcastic because, like, 
I could, you couldn't be seriously be the guy that was like, let's go, Dave. Right. <laughs> Come on, Finley. <laughs> yeah. Nobody cared. Like, bro, that crowd was hostile, dude. Yeah, bro. Yeah, we they were. We were. White. Yeah, bro. That was switchblade territory. Like. And man. then, so Jay, Jay gets the big win, and you know, they do the angle. So afterwards, he cuts a promo. Tomohiro Ishii comes out. Which makes sense because he picked up the big win over Moose earlier in the night, and he's got a lot of history with Jay, especially in the most you know this past calendar year. And you know, Dave Finley talks about how he beat Jay, you know he already beat Ishii, and Ishii has no business challenging him because he's the only quadruple champion in history, and you know Ishii's never held any other title other than the Never Belt. <laughs> yeah, he's like Ishii's never been the IWG, IWGP US champion. Ishii's never been the IC champion, right, Kevin Kelly? He's never he's never been the IC champion. <laughs> he's definitely never been the IWGP heavyweight champion. Yeah, and you know, that whole thing is funny because it's like kind of not taking into account the world title, but he can't talk about the world title because he's never won it yet himself, you know? Uh, it's going to be funny the day he wins it and talks about how he's the only guy to hold all five major titles. Yeah. I want someone to be like, you never held the NWF belt or the U30 belt or the great or the greatest 18 club championship. <laughs> I was saying Billy Tommy to come out and be like, you ain't never hold this strong open weight title. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, after all that happened, dude, like a lot of people uh, not like I'm now I don't want to make it sound like a majority, but it was noticeable that a large portion of the crowd. Yeah. Chris Samson's whole row left his whole row and i mean it was a full row there was probably like 30 40 chairs the whole road got up and left and um it was mostly people in the back though which again like i mentioned were kind of like seemed to be the more casual fans they were the ones chanting the more obscene and kind of degrading and vulgar stuff so it kind of made sense but uh <laughs> very strange and then that brings us to the main event you know um the IWGP United States Heavyweight Title match, defending champion Lance Archer, taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi. Match went 19 minutes 26 seconds. This was my my choice for match of the night, and I, I really enjoyed this match a lot. Yeah, this match is awesome. Was awesome. It's always great to see the ace in action live. Um, you know, challenging here for the U.S. title. Kind of your kind of your typical processing story here. You have the big monster heel against the, the hero baby face and, you know, Lance Archer, you know, he is kind of a tweener on AW. He's been more baby face leaning lately. Like we mentioned, he got a great reaction, but I thought Lance did a great job of, you know, getting the crowd to boo him, getting heat on Tanahashi. Like we mentioned that the whole, you know, tramp stamp, you know, uh, chair chant, he like shut that down and, he was just being so monstrous to Tanahashi in this match and beating him down using a lot of power moves. And uh, also Tanahashi, an amazing seller, um, kind of fighting from underneath and would, would fire up. And I love this match. I watched the, I rewatched the G1 2019 match before the trip, and uh, this match was definitely uh, better than the G1 match. And I mean, the G1 match was good, but it was a kind of a middle of the card match. It got like 14 minutes, and Tanahashi won with victory roll. Um, this was a more like a main event, longer match, uh, a lot more back and forth, a lot of cool spots here. And uh, and they uh, actually played off that victory roll spot, and that was kind of a cool callback as well. 
Yeah, they did a great job highlighting that in the, the, the BTR video package. So even for like those, you know, casual fans, they saw that before the match. So that that helped to um, Archer. There was one point where he, he hit the blackout. And normally, nobody really kicks out of the blackout. Um, and so that was a great near fall there. But he didn't kick out. He got to the rope. Oh, sorry. He got his foot on the rope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, r- ring awareness. Yes, the ace ahead. Um, but, yeah, a lot of great con- counters. Tanahashi countering the second blackout into a sling blade. Uh, we got the, the aces high. We got three high fly flows. And Oh, bro, I was losing. My, you know, Tanahashi's my guy. So, like, yeah. I was just – I was jumping up and down. I was acting boisterous. I don't normally act that way all the time. But, like, seeing, seeing Tanahashi, just knowing what's coming, like, I think it's just one of the greatest segments in professional wrestling. Just, you know, uh, I remember growing up thinking, like, that Shawn Michaels tuning up the band was the best because you know what's coming. But, like, dude – Seeing him hit high fly flow to the back, high fly flow to the front, proper <laughs> high fly flow. You're just like, oh my god, he did it, he did it. And then, yeah, the one, two, three is just so good. Yeah, that was and, an awesome moment as a fan to see Tanahashi win a title live, uh, becoming the first Japanese talent to hold the U.S. title, becoming the second, ever, yeah, yeah, becoming the second Grand Slam champion and it was just a, a great you know feel good moment for new japan fans yeah he heard jay white earlier in the night he's like hold my beer <laughs> yeah uh, but yeah i think this is kind of what we predicted the ace winning the belt back taking that belt back to japan um so they can have a secondary title there to uh draw and put on some of these big shows um tanashi did tweet out that he's on the way back to japan he tweeted out a picture of him and Nagata in, in the airport today. I know a lot of fans really wanted Ace to stick around to face Moxley at All Out or at uh, the Grand Slam show in, in New York, Arthur Ashe Stadium, but it seems like the Ace is heading back. Yeah, John Moxley was noticeably and highlighted on the show. He was at ringside sitting right by the red belt, drinking a beer, sitting back, being an interested party. My whole thing, I was sitting there, I was like, this guy needs to go away. Okay, he just lost a tag match. Like, he's got no... Ishii won his match. He gets to come out <laughs> <Yeah>. in town. <laughs> um, another funny thing, too, uh, we were at a group meetup, and apparently there was uh, a contingency of Japanese fans that were actually complaining about... Um, <laughs> complaining that, like, Tanahashi you know, had just lost a major match to um, Shingo and didn't deserve to be getting this title shot. So I was like, man, I couldn't imagine fans that were upset about Tanahashi getting a title shot. That's so crazy. New Japan fans love logical booking, man. (laughs) Yeah, we we made a joke at the meetup. I was like, if only there was a place where wins and losses mattered. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Uh, But but to be be fair, I mean, Tanahashi was not even supposed to be in that match. He won his match um, against... Uh, Kenta, and so he was supposed to come into this show with a win. <laughs> right, right. So, yep, and uh, yep. So the match ends. Archer cuts a really great promo, just talking about how much he respects Tanahashi, and then he says, "I want you to come to AEW, and when you do, I don't want you to fight anyone else before you fight me and give me another chance at that title." And like Tanahashi, I think he like promised it. Yeah, he, that said, he, he said, "Yes, I promise." I promise you. <laughs> yeah, so it's like he's apparently going to come to AEW and fight Archer, and then the Mox match is on Dock too. So and we've kind of said, and again, the Mox match could happen in Japan or in AEW. It's hard to know. Um, 
But, you know, there are those people, those conspiracy theorist fans that think that everything he's putting out about him going back to Japan, that it's all work, that he's not needed for those Cebu Dome shows, and that he's actually going to do business with Mox here in the States before he goes back for G1. I'm not so confident of that. I think they do need him <laughs> for the Cebu Dome shows desperately, so I'm hey, pretty sure he's going. We got Toriano versus Chase Owens. Uh, it's one of the highlight matches on a show. We need the ace. <laughs> and, and you know what? It's funny. Western fans are like, <laughs> I'm going to throw some shade at friends of ours. You know, Western fans are like, we need him on these AEW shows. I'm like, no, you don't, bro. You want to watch <laughs> If you want to watch him, watch New Japan. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, we we want him in AEW, and I'm like, I mean, cool, that'd be cool too. I'm not opposed to it, but like, damn, like, business down, bro. Like, <laughs> right, give us a cut, some break, give us a break, man. Um, Stale Burger Bun asked us, what makes Tanahashi so damn enjoyable? Dude, there's so, everything. Yeah, there's so much. He, you, you talk about it's a from the entrance. I mean, superstar entrance. Guy comes out. I mean, and he looks in great shape too. Like I know he's been kind of having like the little like belly issue, but he looked in like G one. Well, obviously G one's coming up. He looked in G one shape here. Um, the selling is so great. His selling is so great. The storytelling. His, uh, his hair, bro. The his hair. hair the, the the psychology. Yes. The high flying, you know, the desperation, the facials, the, the fighting timing. spirit when he fires up. Yeah, bro. He's just, he's the fucking best. Like, he is. Oh, man. He's incredible. So, um, uh, any final thoughts? Well, I guess my final thought on the show is I'll say this. This, Even though this show um, maybe lacked true, what I would call, like, banger classics, across the board, it was super enjoyable as far as just bell-to-bell action. There was really hardly any matches that I would say were, like, not worthwhile checking out. I mean, it was just a really good wrestling show. You compile that with like a really great setting, you know, big crowd. And then so many talking point moments, this sort of really just felt like a reset. Yeah. It felt, like, it felt like a reset Japan of USA. Yeah. It felt like a reset, it felt like a big show, a lot of big angles, a lot of direction for the future. Um, I thought that uh, Matt Morris, um, former Aiden English did a great job on commentary with Kevin Kelly and, um, why and it put, looks like it looks like he's going to be doing um, matches. We'll talk about that. But you know, I'm not a big fan of active wrestlers doing the commentary. I prefer one or the other. You know. Yeah. Um, and what's uh, keep, why do I always keep forgetting his name? Alex Kozlov. Yeah, Alex Kozlov. And Kozlov, I thought he did really well um, on this show I, as well. I, I thought so too. I so, thought he did good. Yeah, it's a great now, booth. One last thing, we're going to talk about um, tickets and upcoming shows that they've got, but I, one last talking point. Um, so, you know, we went into the show with technically one U.S.-based champion that was truly highlighted on New Japan Strong, that being Filthy Tom Lawler, that being the strong title established earlier this year. Coming out of the show, it really seems that we have three major singles titles now we've got confirmation that you know jay white's going to be featured on these upcoming shows got feuds in place the never title and then you've got a secondary maybe you could call it the lineal maybe you, you can call it the real maybe you can call it the fake iwgp world title so now like how do you what's your interpretation because to me i see those two belts and those two caliber stars 
maybe detracting a little bit from what the strong title is supposed to be. And, but maybe it's needed based on the fact that they're going to a live format and they're trying to sell tickets. I don't know. Yeah. Based on some of the stuff coming up, I definitely feel like they need the star power of Jay and will. And then, yeah, having those guys with top title is great. Uh, but yeah, I do feel like it does kind of lower the strong title, maybe to a, a, a TV title role. Um, instead of kind of being the, the top, title in the brand and we've been talking about this off air i feel like this this could lead to filthy tom confronting these guys on one of these shows and being like hey you know you guys came in my territory like i am the strong champ i'm the top guy here maybe you get a feud somehow that way with, with the champions but it does kind of lower the strong title a bit um but i guess in a way with three titles now you can do three title matches without having to bring people over It'll be interesting to see how this all is handled and dealt with going into, you know, this next phase of New Japan Strong. Yeah. And so, um, like we mentioned during the show, they did make a couple of announcements for shows coming up. So we already knew about the Philly um, and Texas shows coming up. Well, they announced another set of strong tapings for the Nation Tour, which will be going to the Riverside Municipal Artorium, and that will be on November 15th. And wrestlers announced for that. We got Switchblade Jay White, Filthy Tom Waller, Flamboyant Juice Robinson, David Finley, the Stone Pit Bull, Tomohiro Ishii, Mr. Dode's Off, Fred Roster, the Man of the Hour, Leo Rush, the Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks, the Wild Rhino, Clark Connors, Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson, and Ren Narita. And then they also announced another big pay per view style show for the San Jose Civic Center called the Battle in the Valley, which will also be happening in November. And this will be November 13th, first time in two years that New Japan returns to the San Jose uh, Civic Center. Announced for this show, we have Jay White, Tom Aller, John Moxley, Tomohiro Ishii, David Finley, Juice Robinson, Leo Rush, Hikaleo, Fred Rosser, and Ren Narita. Uh, WrestleTix has the uh, early um, ticket numbers from this show. So this was pulled around uh, 4 o'clock this afternoon from WrestleTix. Um, there is uh, 1,588 tickets available, an estimated capacity of 2,026. Uh, 438 tickets have been sold so far, so about 22% of the tickets uh, were gone from earlier this afternoon. And with every possible seat on the map, they could do 2,466, but obviously with staging, that might kill some of the seats. So... About 22% of the tickets sold for this big uh, battle in the Valley so far. Yeah. Um, watch the advertisement that they have for this show. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, just like with this show of Resurgence, Tanahashi was featured in the advertisement. It was never announced until the last second. And if you watch closely, uh, Shingo Takagi and Kazuchika Okada are featured in this battle in the Valley promotional video. So if all goes well, they can get them over here. It seems like we're going to get Shingo and Okada on this show. Could be something might be nothing, but uh, you know, it's just, they did it with Tanahashi. So I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, that's post G1. So I don't know. It's kind of funny though. Um, you know, we, we showed up for this show and we were wondering how much media was going to be there. We saw the media list you know, pretty exclusive, honestly, a lot less than I thought. We we're wondering if Dave was going to make his way out there, but, you know, he didn't make the trip down to L.A. So it looks like New Japan decided, 
we're going to take the show to Dave. A, a show <laughs> just for Dave Meltzer in San Jose. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Osprey not announced yet, but I'm sure um, he might probably end up being on that show, and Dave would love that as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we had a question here from Dom Homie 101. Is it possible that we may get Wrestle Dynasty in the near future? You know, that's an interesting question. During one of the inner like mission sort of things, they did a thank you video to the fans in the States and kind of gave a, a, a kind of a weird history because it wasn't sequential, um, but they gave a history of New Japan in, in the U.S. and the last four years. And at first, they started off with Wrestle Dynasty and how it was going to happen, and then it got canceled. And so we were looking at Chris. Chris looking at us. We're like, oh, my God, they're going to do yeah, MSG. I, I pulled up the tweet. I was tweeting all night. I pulled it up. I was like, getting ready to type, yo, New Japan's returning to Madison Square Garden. I'm like, say date, say date, say date. And it was like, thank you for being a fan. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you right now, it seems like probably a no for now. But anything is possible. But with the fact that this year is almost up, like, unless, they're make, unless they got big plans for 2022, it doesn't seem like anything this year like that's going to happen yeah and i know i'll see still in the pandemic there's you know a lot of mass restrictions starting to come up for indoors in certain states i think new york's going to be one of those states and requiring vaccination so so the the uh new japan strong tapings took place hearing very positive things about the atmosphere the crowd and the matches so uh very exciting but we've got the first episode coming out of the three episode taping that they did that's coming up this friday well the, the, got, this friday is not a fan oh tape. this was pre-taped this was pre-taped this is still the summer struggle uh empty arena show mm. um, so everything that was taped on monday i'm, I'm guessing it's probably going to be aired in september uh, on observer live rocky said it would be about three or four weeks before we saw what was taped um so everything for the time being as long as we're still in summer struggle it's going to be empty arena well, you know, that kind of makes sense if hypothetically they did more build for Leo Rush and we'll wait and see. But if they had done more more build for Leo Rush and Filthy on the taping leading up to, you know, the, what just happened, that might make more sense. Yeah. Um, so in the main event, we see the continuation of the, you know, Violence Unlimited and Team Filthy feud. The main event's going to be Brody King and Chris Dickinson versus Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs. Then the middle match, we'll have uh, Clark Connors, Renarita, and TJP taking on Fred Rosser, Fred, Ye- Fred Rosser, Fred Yehi, and the debuting Daniel Garcia, who's been all over uh, AEW the last couple of weeks. Uh, pretty excited about that, and also continuing the build with the Rosser-Narita match. And then the opening match, we'll get Matt Morris, a former aiding English, making his New Japan debut as part of the Alex Coughlin Challenge Series and facing Alex, Alex Coughlin. Yeah, it's interesting how through this partnership between these major companies, certain guys like Wheeler Utah, Daniel Garcia, different, you know, others, uh, Danny Limelight, you know, guys that are getting work between all three companies, but not necessarily exclusively signed to any of them. Uh, That's kind of like an interesting development of this whole thing and something I think is kind of overlooked and probably a net positive for everybody involved, you know. Yeah, and also these guys get more experience, more time to shine, you know, bigger platform from these guys. And, yeah, just once again, it kind of helps with that synergy. And, yeah, it's really awesome to see a guy like Daniel Garcia kind of show up here 
on Strong, especially after, I mean, all this was taped before his AW appearances. Now with that AW TV, some people might want to check this out on Strong. So that's going to lead us into Summer Struggle, the tour uh, this past Monday, and then earlier today, the 17th. Uh, big news going into the shows. There were wrestlers absent due to COVID protocols. Changes were made to the August 16th card. On Sunday, August 15th, Shingo Takagi and Bushi pre- uh, presented with a fever on arrival at a live event in Shizuko. Sh- Shizuka. I don't usually have a problem pronouncing, but it looks like I do with this one. In accordance with New Japan's COVID-19 protocol, both wrestlers did not compete on the card and have undertaken PCR tests. Both will be absent from live events while waiting the results. All contact will also be absent as a precautionary measure. Yeah, so yeah, Shingo Bushi pulled off the card and pretty much people who they were in contact with. So all of LIJ pulled from the card um, and uh, Dick Togo and Gato pulled from the card and having to uh, forfeit their matches in the tag league. Which ultimately doesn't matter because they were winless going into... <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah, up to this point and and already disqualified anyways from winning. So um, on Monday, August 16th, we had Great Bash Heel, Togi Makabe and, uh, and Hanma defeated Master Wato and Ryazuki Taguchi. Hearing really good things about Togi Makabe's performance on these nights. Uh, I am not fully caught up on the shows. We're kind of just going to go over some of the big angles and uh, big ongoings. Um, second match of the night, Goto and Yoshihashi. And Tenkoji, um, they defeated the Suzuki-Gun team of Doki, Suzuki, Taichi, and Zack Sabre Jr. Third match of the night, Okada and Yano defeated Bull Club team of Chase Owens and Jado. And, and, and real quick, in back because I forgot to put it in the news, the the stipulations were announced for the voting. It's voting's going on right now for the Yano-Chase Owens match, and then you can either vote for Chase's Rules, which is a traditional Texas Strap match or Toriano wants an I quit match. So those are the two votes. Last time I checked, the I quit match was winning by a landslide. So it looks like we're going to get these guys in the I quit match. I liked my idea of having both matches combined <laughs> into one rule set. Um, Super Junior Tag Team action. We had the Bull Club team of uh, Bull Club's cutest tag team, Phantasmo and Taiji Shimori. They defeated. The surging Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask, 16 minutes and 22 seconds. And the big talking point, the main event of the evening, uh, the Suzuki-Gun team of El Desperado and Yoshinabu Kenamaru defeated Rapongi 3K, Sho and Yo, 21 minutes and 52 seconds in the main event. But the big news coming out of this was the ongoings post-match between Sho and Yo. Yeah, well, pretty much it. And towards the end of the match, um, Desperado, they're, they're, they're beating down on Yo uh, he gets locked in the uh, numero dos and shows on the outside, just looking, you know, pissed off. He's, you know, giving up on the team, and he just kind of walks out two on one on Yo. That they pin him, and then yeah, post match he comes back in the ring, picks that man up, hits him with a shock arrow. Show Michael is finally leaving Marty Yonetti in the dust. He throws him through the barber shop window. He's strapping the rocket to himself, and he's going to elevate himself to the next level here. Yeah, we've been. This is a moment we've had extensive discussion about for years, <laughs> like since this show started in 2017. So, um, pretty pretty significant moment. A lot of questions, talking points. So let's get into it. Hawaiian, Hawaiian Punch BB uh, asked, "What's next for Pongi 3K after the split? Show maybe joins the United Empire." 
their singles match is a main event for best of the super juniors question mark. Yeah. And, um, Aaron Hanare did retweet the, the angle of show, uh, power driving yo. So that there could be some fire there behind him joining the United empire. And a lot of people are like, you know, emperor needs a junior. So show has to join that faction. I'm not sure he, he has to, um, I mean, it would be cool to get him a new faction, a new look and be the junior over there, but I don't think he immediately needs to join them right away. Yeah, I mean, he could literally exist as an undeclared bad guy junior wrestler for the time being. That that would kind of be an intriguing little tidbit or storyline for the time being, you know? Yeah, or what if, crazy thought here, what if Show becomes the leader of its own faction? I'm not sure who would be in it, but maybe there's some other people he could get to defect from chaos or maybe some new debuts or somebody else that could he could get to kind of build his own group. Yeah, that's interesting. As far as the super juniors, there's been a lot of um, discussion about prospective potential dome matches. I think a lot of people are kind of putting um, Hiromu and Desperado as their, you know, what's the main contention for a potential dome match. But keep in mind, they might be doing two nights. And with this split up, I mean, these guys are definitely on some sort of collision course. I don't know if Super Junior's main event is where, you know, or finals is where it's headed. But given the fact that it's probably going to be a single block tournament again, we're going to see we're going to see these guys face off at some point and where they're headed. Who knows? I mean, this is something where we have to sit and watch and wait. Like, I don't know. You know, it's pretty, pretty exciting. Um, Rambo and Slam Pig asked us, he said, what is next for show? I would love to see him in United Empire, but if not there, then what else would be a good fit? How long until he gets a shot at the junior title? Well, I mean, we've just seen him get a shot at the junior title recently that he didn't win. Right. So this is definitely going to be a re-kind of building phase for him. I could see him doing obviously very well in Best of Super Juniors, and maybe he maybe he wins, and that leads to a title match for him there. Or maybe it's after Wrestle Kingdom, um, but well, well, I think that's a lot of assumption there, Jeremy. I mean, you, you think about it, like, yeah, he got a towel shot recently, but that was as a face, that was a member of Rapongi 3K. Now, yeah. this guy, you know, he's a different guy now, and we know how they can be in New Japan, where they just, you know, look at Evil. I mean, it's not quite the same thing because Evil won a tournament, but they could easily like. Plus, it's a different champion too. It's Robbie Eagles, it's not right? Yeah. yeah, and you know. Eagles, one of his stablemates in chaos. He's a baby face. There's a story there. Yeah, they could definitely do an, an Eagles show match. I'm just thinking, I mean, we got G1 coming up. I don't think we're going to get a junior title match before G1 or during G1. So it has there's to two, There's two Cebu Dome shows. That's true, yeah. Well, he's already, Eagles already facing Hiromu. There's two nights. I know, but I don't know if they're going to do a back to back junior title matches like that. I'm not saying they will, but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, Maybe you do show versus yo on one of those on that on that, that dome. That's a possibility too. You know, um, there's a lot of possibilities. Uh, we kind of talked about where you know what kind of what the future holds from as far as like factions go, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's again, it's exciting because we don't know what's next. Yeah. Um, Muzza asks, Show Michaels finally got rid of the dead weight of Marty Unetti, but in all seriousness, what are the odds this could be a Wrestle Kingdom match, perhaps for the junior title? That is a possibility. Yeah, that that is a possibility. 
I don't know. I definitely I just feel stronger in Hiromu somehow being involved in that title picture unless Hiromu's, you know, being pushed up the heavyweight, going to be in the G1. He's going to wrestle heavyweight the rest of the year, but uh, they definitely well, could do a Shoyo title match. I will say this. I don't think Sho's ready for heavyweight because if you noticed, he's actually looked a lot slimmer. He's he. Um, I, this was a joke I was going to make the other week. Right now, it looks like Yo is in the middle of a balk and uh, shows in the middle of a cut because he is like all cut up and Yo is looking like bigger than I can ever remember him ever looking before. Yeah. So, but um, you know, last year they did do like two um, junior matches back to back, kind of their own version of the double gold sort of deal. They're could be something like that for the dome this year again, but maybe you have these two involved with potentially, especially since Desperado seems to be so tied up in the split of Rapongi 3K, and maybe you could have Robbie Eagles involved somehow. I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say. It's interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways they can go with it. Obviously, these guys are going to feud somehow, whether the title is involved or not. We'll have to wait and see. It is kind of funny, like it. Uh, Desperado was sort of the guy that was the catalyst for this. It started with that promo, that scathing promo that he he cut on them, and it was so like, you know, detrimental. Yeah. And then and now, who knows? Maybe Show joins Suzuki Goon. I mean, they already have three juniors, but I mean, could add another. There are people that would like to see that. Um, you know, I also saw people talking about they're like, you know, reaching out to Jay. They're like Jay. <laughs> Yo, Yohei Kamatsu is a free agent. Maybe you should pick your boy up. You know, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, Dom Hone, Homie One Hundred One asked us any thoughts on. Oh, did I just answer that? No, I didn't. No. Sorry. Any thoughts uh, on the split of Rapongi Three K? Thoughts on how it was done? Could it have been done in a better way, or been done on a bigger show? And did the right guy turn? How will this play out for both Show and Yo? And I think that that's interesting because. This is kind of like their tournament, so it's poetic in a certain sense, but also kind of a minor show. And this is a big split, you know, and it does seem like maybe it's too small of a stage for it. Yeah, I I feel like nobody has been watching these shows. I mean, there's like barely any grapple reviews, barely any cage match reviews, not a lot of people uh, really talking about what's going on with these shows and um, yeah, you you would think in a split like this that people have literally been asking us about for years: who's going to turn on who? When's the split going to happen? What's gonna, what, you know? What's the future of these guys? Who's the star? Um, you would you would think maybe at the dome show they would have done this, or you know, best super juniors like save it for a, a bigger platform where more people are watching. But from a story perspective, it does make sense to happen in a super junior tag league where they've won it three years in a row and they're normally the top team. Um, so, yeah, story wasn't make sense, but, yeah, it could have been on a bigger stage. I agree. And then finally he asked, what does the future of New Japan's junior tag team division look like with that Rapongi 3K? And, well, no. you know what that means, Josh? We've watched our last Despi, versus Con- Despi and Kanemaru versus Rapongi 3K match for the time being, hopefully. For, for the time being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, this is the flagship team of the division. And now that they're no longer a a part of that division, we get to see them kind of take their rightful roles as single stars. 
in the just general IWGP junior division. I wouldn't be surprised if along the way they pick up alternate partners and we see them feud against one another over the junior titles down the line. Yeah, that would, that would make a ton of sense. I mean, in, in the meantime, you, you still have Bullet Club's cutest tag team. You got Despi and Kanamaru. Uh, and you, that's it. Yeah, I mean, also <laughs> they, they stick Wato and Noguchi together. Um, Tiger Mask and Eagles. Like, <laughs> there's not there's not much. It, it does create a vacuum that hopefully a good team comes in and fills in, in the future. Yep, and then that takes us to the 17th, where that show is also affected by COVID protocols due to show and or Shingo and Bushi's fever. They're still waiting on the results of the PCR test. So those guys pulled again. All the LIJ guys pulled again. Dick Toko and Gato pulled again. They forfeit their last match. So they're 0 and 5. And then show and Yo's um, split um, has also caused them to forfeit their last match as well. So they are also finishing the league up 0 and 5. And since their final match was against Gato and Jado. We don't even have to watch Gato and Jado beat them. Both teams forfeit the match. Both teams get zeros. Both teams finish the tournament with <laughs> zero points. Yeah. Um, on this evening, we had Great Okan defeating Hanma, 10 minutes, 50 seconds. Makabe and Yano defeating the Bullet Club. Oh, most violent, most violent players. Yeah, back together. MVP. <laughs> uh, they defeated Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Jado. It's a lot of two wins in a row for Toriano teams against Chase Owens teams. I don't know. Um Suzuki Goon team of Doki, Suzuki, and Dangerous Techers. They defeated the cast team of Goto and Yoshihashi, along with Tenkoji, 15 minutes and 21 seconds. And then the double main event, Super Junior Tag League action, we had Watto and Taguchi as they defeated Eagles and Tiger Mask, 15 minutes and 40 seconds. And in the main event, the deciding match, uh, Suzuki Goon, El Desperado, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru, they defeated the Bull Club's cutest tag team. El Fantasmo and Taiji Shimori, and that makes them this year's winners of the Super Junior Tag League. Yeah, at the end of the match, um, Kanamaru was a legal man. ELP thought it was Despi. He hits the sudden death on Despi. He throws Taiji on Despi. Raichu was like, hey, man, Kanamaru's a legal man. They started arguing. Kanamaru hits a low blow, rolls up ELP, one, two, three. Despi and Kanamaru get the win. They challenge ELP and Taiji post-match for the junior tag team titles. Uh, but interesting stuff in ELP and Taiji's post-match promo, they are more focused on going to strong because they are going to be on the upcoming some of the upcoming tapings, and they talked about going to strong and wanted to face some of the best junior tag teams in strong. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do here. Although I don't think there's any true established junior tag teams that I can think of. So, you know, maybe we're going to see some alliances formed, some, you know, new teams kind of formated. Although, um, you know, this is, it kind of reminds me of like, remember when GOD came in, they just ran rough shot over everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but um, final Super Junior Tag League standings, Desperado and Kanemaru, they're, they're your winners. Uh, eight points. Um and they have a tiebreaker over the Bullet Club's cutest tag team, who also had eight points. Um, both finished with four and one records. Taguchi and Watto finished with six points, as well as Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask, who were on an undefeated path, but then lost the last two nights, kind of knocked them out. And then, like we mentioned, Rapongi 3K and the Bullet Club team, both with zero wins. Yeah, we thought that you know Eagles and Tiger Mask were going to get a win over the Cutest Club 
Bull Club Skews tag team to uh, you know get a tag title match there, but that's not the case. They beat that team, and it looks like they're holding off maybe on the, the Eagles ELP rivalry and matchup. They also, I will say this, um, that team was very impressive. Eagles always impressive, but since winning the title and returning from Australia and kind of given this new opportunities really showing out, but like Tiger Mask put in really good work returning from diverticulitis. This is like his best showing since like super juniors in like 2019. Remember he went on that like three, three, like three back to back wins that year. In the beginning of the tournament, like what is going on? (laughs) Yeah. So very impressed with him, impressed with almost all these teams, honestly. Um, So, you know, big story showing yo break up, they go out with a whimper and then a bang. And yeah, it's, it's sad, especially for those who are big, big fans, you know, Karen, Sensei, probably the biggest like Rapunga 3K fan there is, uh, has to be like, you know, heartbroken, but uh, it had to be done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to know where does this leave Rocky? Because, you know, he's still announced as a part of Rapunga 3K when he comes out. So I want to know what it leaves him. It leaves him where he's always been, back over in the U.S., taking care of all of <laughs> everything. Uh, he's got to get rid of those 3K jackets now, though. <laughs> He's gonna keep. He's got to sell them all out. Yeah. <laughs> if you go on his uh, pro wrestling tea store, there's still Rapungi Vice shirts on sale. So. Hey, well, there was a Rapungi Vice reunion a couple of weeks ago. So. Well, that's gonna <laughs> do it for those shows. Let's get into the news. Yeah. So G1 Climax 31 is going to be presented live in English on New Japan World for the whole tour. Every live event in English. Kevin Kelly will be heading over to Japan to do the G1. So I'm guessing maybe that's kind of why they were testing out Matt Morris. So maybe we're going to get Matt Morris and Kozlov as the main team on strong during those tapings while Kevin Kelly is in Japan calling G1. Hey, if they need someone to jump on the stick, you know, you got two two guys right here willing to travel, willing to do what's needed. Um, you know, uh, good on Kevin. You know, um, thank you for your dedication. Uh, you know, that's a long time away in the middle of a pandemic away from your family and long crazy hours and you know but it wouldn't be the g1 without kevin calling it live so right and i think you know that's one thing that kind of hurts these shows for the people who only want to listen to english you you know waiting a day behind it's hard to avoid spoilers and most people end up watching japanese and kevin kelly is so great and i think his work needs to be heard so glad it's going to be live english and should be a lot of fun for g1 31 um, then coming up for the MetLife Dome, we're going to have some special stardom matches. Of course, there'll be dark matches due to, you know, the whole airing and television TV rights things. But there will be uh, two stardom dark matches for those uh, MetLife Dome shows. Official matches not announced yet. And then last thing here, like I mentioned earlier, Will Ospreay is returning to RevPro to defend the undisputed British Heavyweight Championship um, against Doug Williams. So there's been some heat here. Doug Williams calling Ricky Knight Jr. the true British heavyweight champion. Um, so Osprey coming to face him the same weekend. Ricky Knight Jr. will be defending against Shota Umino. He's also announced for the next day uh, at the Portsmouth Guild Hall for Ref Pro taking on Robbie X as well. Mm, so... So Osprey. that both of those have been announced. Yeah, so Osprey getting some work back there. Um, in so the, how about how about this? Got a tweet here two hours ago, right when we started recording from Will Osprey, 
So we got lads in strong impact ROH, PWX, CMLL, RevPro, OTT, AEW. Who wants some then? Question mark. Osprey versus the world. Hmm. So this man, you know, going to do a world tour of matches. <laughs> well, he apparently has the world IWG title. The real title, so. world title. And, you know, you mentioned uh, CML, ROH. In one of those videos they mentioned, that they did mention that they were still partners of both Ring of Honor and CMLL, which I thought was interesting mentioning. Did that. they mention RevPro in that video? Because I don't think they did. They did not. Yeah, they mentioned, Which I thought was interesting. Yeah, they mentioned, you know, our partnerships that we already have with ROH and CMLL and then our new partnerships with Impact and AEW. Yeah, but that is going to do it for the news. So let's jump into these questions and finish the show out. So um, got some good ones here. Uh, MJ does PR. He said the last three IWGP champions have all been former junior champs. How long does Romu have left in the junior division? Will this be his final year question mark it's a great great question um i think the issue with that has just been the state of the junior division you really don't have a lot of stars in that division right now hiromu it's kind of been the hiromu show for the last couple of years and obviously with shingo and will kind of being called up in, you know the end of 2019 it left it all for it, division became hiromu and friends so if hiromu leaves it's going to be hard you know, finding that kind of new draw. They really don't have somebody there. Then with restrictions, you don't have a lot of guidance coming in. So it might leave the junior division in a rough spot if Romu leaves anytime soon. But, I mean, I think he has he has a star power to be heavyweight. And, you know, he's put on some size over the years. I think you know, he can be, have the size to be a heavyweight. I just don't know, you know, when they can do that with him being the main guy in the junior division. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we kind of felt this way about Will Ospreay a year or two before he made the jump, you know, because it kind of was feeling like he had done everything there was to do, but he really hadn't. And I feel the same way about um, Hiromu. I mean, especially when you consider how many times he's been on the shelf and the amount of time he's taken off and the perspective matches that are on the table once the pandemic is let up, a lot of those are first-time matches that, just really have been put on the back burner because of the pandemic. I think he has a lot more um, ability to build in this tournament or in this division going forward. It, you know, um, it's just the juniors have had to take such a, a back seat because of everything that's happened. Right. And also back to that question about the junior tag titles. Also, Hiromu wasn't in the tag league, but Hiromu and Bushi is something you could always do as well. Yeah. Uh, in one of our Facebook groups, a uh, friend of the show, he actually pointed out, he said in the last 10 years, um, AJ, Omega, Abushi, Osprey, and Shingo are all guys that have held the title but, you know, have been um, billed as 220 or, or lower. You know, it's all guys that kind of came from, like, a junior division background as well. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. But um, I, I think Hiromu maybe one day will make that jump, but I, I don't think that there's a need for him to do it just yet i think there's still some work to do and i think that if he does make the jump he should leave it better kind of the way will did will really built up quite a few people during his time there and then and then kind of like made that jump you know right so uh next question he's uh comes from uh, dom homie 101 he says how do you think oh wait one one thing did you notice that in that whole list he didn't list nwa I did not notice that. <laughs> this man doesn't want to go down to Atlanta. <laughs> that man's not trying to do you know that that studio wrestling for for Billy Corgan. Uh, also, he he listed AEW at the bottom of his list. 
probably for some heat. You know, he knows yeah, fans would get for, mad for, about for, it. For, for the heat. <laughs> uh, Don Homie 101 with a series of questions here. First, he asks, how do you think the fallout that is going on with NXT will affect New Japan? I don't know. I, I don't worry about it. I, I mean, what's going to happen is guys are going to keep getting released. People are going to ask us who we think they should sign. They're going to sign some of those people, and we're going to get some you know news faces on strong. Yeah, I, I kind of like the idea of what we discussed earlier, how there's some guys who are kind of getting freelance work amongst all the different kind of companies. And again, that's a positive thing for everybody involved. I don't know if that's, you know, maybe befitting certain guys of a certain level, but, you know, it's interesting. It's really interesting about the guys that have either been under, that have worked in New Japan before, like Bronson Reed, like Bobby Fish. Russ- Bobby Fish, Russ Tyler, um, or Alex Zane. Alex Zane, yeah. So those ones in particular. I mean, bro, Blake Christian's going to get cut next, I'm telling you. Oh, yeah. I I see the writing on the wall for him. He's got a – he doesn't have the look – he's young, but he does not have the look that they they want at all. He'll probably be gone. You know, Ben Carter's probably next too. I mean, all of NXT UK is probably next. (laughs) Oh, bro, the A-Kid. Let's get that's bro. Let's get the fucking a kid. Let's get the a kid. Let's get Tyler Bates. Let's get Walter. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Non New Japan questions. Thoughts on this year's lineup of SummerSlam? Will you guys be watching to see the leader of the C Nation attempt to dethrone the Tribal Chief to become the head of the table? LOL. Um, You know, I, I don't know much about the rest of the lineup, but because that match is a big match, I was gonna watch Pacquiao Spence. But Spence is out, and I don't really care that much about Ugas, I think is who he's fighting. So, yeah, I'm probably going to watch SummerSlam. Yeah, well, I mean, you invited us over, so I hope we <laughs> be watching SummerSlam. Yeah, we're going to have a have a little shindig here. We're going to have a, a Joshua-themed Jeremy birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> and also a, a slash going away party for uh, Josh number two. Uh but yeah, we'll we'll be watching SummerSlam. Honestly, I know some of the matches on the card, but it's whatever. It's we're probably just gonna clown the card the whole time as we watch. So whatever. Um, non wrestling question: Any rec- restaurant recommendations to check out in LA? Did you guys meet any non wrestling celebrities? No, no wrestling celebrities. Um, you know, we 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 ate at In and Out. We ate at Roscoe's. Those are like kind of staples in you know California. Uh, LA area the parks barbecue is like the only thing I'd be like that's a big recommend that that, yes that was like a five that was five stars that was a five star meal definitely do that um in and out um Roscoe's definitely like you mentioned those staples to check out but yeah there's a lot of great restaurants we've got so many recommendations that we just didn't have time to to go to any predictions for Manny Pacquiao versus your Dennis Ugas I'm going with the draw um, I'll take Manny Pacquiao on points. Um, I don't really know Ugas like that, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, I've seen Pacquiao lose at this later stage in his career, but he mo- he usually wins. And I've heard he had a great camp. So who knows? You know, uh, he was prepping for Errol Spence. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, he also said, what are your thoughts on Manny Pacquiao still being salty over um, the Floyd May- Mayweather loss? And does he need to move on? And it's like, yeah, uh, I think both guys had particular, 
you know, talking points and issues with that match and the officiating and the rules and the hubbub surrounding it. And it's kind of one of those things like, you know, they're, they're probably never going to get over it because it was the defining fight of both their careers. Very similar to, you know, you think about like Tommy Hearns and like, uh, and freaking Sugar Ray Leonard or like Leonard and Duran and like, or Leonard and freaking, um, Marvin Hagler. And like, those guys all had like, long-time grudges for generations even after their fight so you know they'll probably never get over it um thoughts on bernard hopkins questioning the legitimacy of errol spence jr's eye injury and wanting spence to show his injury report in my opinion i think b hop should be questioning his boss about those racist emails that came out years ago instead of worrying about errol spence's situation um i don't know i don't i don't take most of the things bernard hopkins says seriously so i don't really know much about this but you know, at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, dang, you know, that's a big fight. And, you know, you're going to pull out like you should maybe prove I think you should have to prove what ailment you have to constitute, you know, the right to pull out a few weeks before the one probably the biggest fight of your life. You know? Yeah. Uh, got a, I, don't, I don't think that's unreasonable. Got a COVID update here from uh, Shingo and Bushi just just posted on New Japan website. As a result of PCR testing conducted across the roster following the August 15th Summer Struggle 2021 event, New Japan Pro Wrestling has learned of two positive tests for COVID-19. <gasps> no. Two wrestlers, Shingo Takagi and Bushi, who presented with a fever and missed their match on the day of the August 15th event, were immediately tested in accordance with COVID protocols with the tests returning positive. Their fevers went down and their conditions are not becoming worse according to protocols and under medical advice. They are isolating and receiving appropriate treatment. New Japan Pro Wrestling will continue dealing appropriately with the situation following directions given from the health care center. We'll work to further strengthen our COVID-19 countermeasures and run events with infection prevention and safety for all fans, wrestlers, staff, and relevant people as a first priority. New Japan deeply apologizes for the concern caused to fans and personnel asks, and asks for your understanding. Well, um, you know, let's first things first, that's terrible, but, you know, glad to hear that they're doing well and that their conditions seem to be improving. So that's, that's great. Now that we've got that part out of the way, when are these MetLife Dome shows? Uh, September like, 4th and 5th. So you're talking about literally two weekends from now. Yeah. So, you know, obviously health comes first, but that puts those shows in serious jeopardy. Yeah. Uh, well, sp specifically when it comes to Shingo Takagi and the IWGP world title. Yeah, man, this this world title, man, it's cursed. We're going to end up in another situation where we have to vacate. It's, it's cursed. It's cursed. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the global pandemic. It's cursed. The title's cursed, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, luckily, yeah, it sounds like you know, fever's going down. It seems like the symptoms might be going away. I know they, they isolate for two weeks. They uh, He might be back just in time for these shows. Yeah, so, um, you know, best thoughts and wishes go out to them and, you know, hope they recover. And we'll keep you posted as we learn more about plans for the MetLife Dome. Um, Hawaiian Punch BV, final questions. He said thoughts on Pacquiao's new opponent. 
You are Dennis Ugas. I feel he's a beatable opponent, but two years off in your forties is a long time. Also, I watched the Thurman fight again, and I still scored it for Pacquiao 115-112, close fight, but Pacquiao's fight. Um, I'll say this. I've never seen your Dennis Ugas. I don't know hardly anything about him. Um, I'll do some research, but, uh, you know, I'll take your word for it. Although, I don't know if I should take your word for it because Thurman definitely beat Pacquiao <laughs> <laughs> in that fight. But, yeah, it was a close fight. So 115-112 is a pretty, pretty good score. If you were going to judge it for Pacquiao, that's probably the score I think you'd have to go with. Um, maybe that. Maybe 114-113 is another one somewhere in that range. Um, and then finally, uh, RIP to a real hero in Jamail. Hepburn, a.k.a. Real Hero from the Real Hero Archive. Yeah, RIP to him. You know, very young guy, very sad to hear about his passing, a guy that's been very influential in, you know, helping, you know, the Western fan base watch uh, Pure Rezu and, you know, getting videos, you know, not charging anything. It's working so hard to get people um, access to uh, Japanese footage before all the streaming services were around. Yeah, I've never met Jamel. I've never interacted with him. Um, but you know, across the board, if you've watched Japanese wrestling on daily motion on YouTube or any, you know, any of his drives or the real hero archive driver, any, you know, um, sharing website, very high likelihood that he had a hand in providing that material to you. Um, you know, this is a really big loss. A lot of people that did know him have nothing but great things to say about him. I, I do know real hero Eric, who I believe also helped with the archive as well. Yeah. But I've never I've never interacted with Jamail. Many people from our website and from our um, network have and have had very positive things to say. And um, I think some people that knew him knew that there were like health issues and things like that. And I I've gone through his Twitter and there might be some allusions to that, but um still very young, very unexpected. And it's a big loss. Uh, you know, there's certain members of the wrestling community, you know, that have contributed a lot. And Jamail's one of them. You know, you think about like Larry Kazanka mm. and some of these, you know, some of these guys and girls, you know, when they pass away, I, I think of Casey from, um, a squared circle of sirens from S- squared circle sirens, you know, and it's like, there've been some, uh, not just that, but like some of the deaths that have occurred in, in wrestling, um, just recently, just in the industry. And then a lot of these fans are very unfortunate and, um, you know, rest in peace to him, best wishes and thoughts to his family. It's very unfortunate. Yeah. Well, last thing to close the show off here, recommended match of the week. So last week, our guest, Chris Samsa recommended that we watch hangman page or switchblade J white from strong style evolved. Um, and watch this matchup. What do you what do you think about this matchup, Josh? So this one was super interesting because, you know, it was at a time when interest in the U.S. was at probably an all time high for for the product. But then at the same time, Jay White had literally just won the U.S. belt from Kenny Omega. He was coming off of a very lackluster received match in the Dome against Tanahashi. And then, um, you know, the match with Kenny Omega was kind of like overshadowed by the Bullet Club angle that kind of pers- or followed it. And Hangman Page was nowhere near the level of star that he is. Both guys were kind of in their formidable, you know, developmental kind of 
phases of their career with New Japan at the time. And the match is – I'll say this. I think from an in-ring perspective, the match is very good. But Bowden, I don't think either guy had really worked at this sort of level for a prolonged period of time just yet. So there are certain things that like both of them do in their matches now from like a pacing, timing standpoint, uh, working the crowd standpoint where they're not doing that in this match. It's a lot of moves, 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 but they're missing a lot of the in-between small stuff that both of them are masters of now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it really showed because the crowd never truly gets behind this match. I think part of it is because again, they're in that like early phase where they haven't established themselves yet. But I think also they didn't do a good enough job getting the crowd to really invest in the story they're telling in a certain sense. You know what it reminded me of Hmm. reminded me a lot of dojo matches. Hmm. You know, they're everything they're doing is good, but they, and they're, but they're working at a level that's maybe higher than where they deserve to be. And I don't mean to say that in the wrong way because, I mean, they are clearly both very talented. They're pulling out the big stops. I mean, Hangman Page is, like, killing himself in this match. And yeah, there was a, a lot of crazy bumps that he took, um, that German on the apron. Uh, we, yep. talked, we talked off the air. I forgot about that spot. That was nuts. Um, the, I think it was, like, one of the first times we saw, like, the Saito over-the-top rope. Um, spot from Jay White and Hangman took a nasty bump on that. He took a, a Saito on the outside. They did. They did a re- some really cool stuff. But you know, I think their inexperience coupled with maybe the crowd not just not having a deep investment in the story or the characters um, detracted from the atmosphere. Um, at the same time, I'd still probably go like three and three quarters, four stars on this match. I think it is a little bit underrated, but. I was surprised that on the rewatch, sometimes you rewatch something and it seems better, but this didn't, it, this just kind of held exactly where I saw it the first time I watched it, you know? Yeah. And I think it was one of the situations you pointed out with like the Fredericks and Coughlin where they were getting kind of little reception at first and they had to work really hard to get reactions. Also, they were doing a lot of big spots, you know, Hangman, you know, did the, the moonsault to the outside and a lot, they were doing a lot of kind of big moves to get some pops. And so, but I feel like by the end of the match, there was there was dueling, you know, let's go um, hangman, let's go uh, white chance. Well, you know, in my experience, my limited experience with wrestling, but just observing guys that are even at a higher level than me, you know, um, putting a match together, there's different ways to do it. And then there's different levels of it, you know, and when you're talking about main event, big, big show level wrestling, I mean, with the amount of time they have, they have a lot of time to fill. And I don't know that I, – I think they're definitely at the level just beneath it where they could definitely have a really good like mid-card match. But I don't think they're ready to have like a main event match just yet. But at the same time, New Japan was willing to trust them and take a chance on them. And I feel like they at least delivered on what was asked of them. They didn't over-deliver, but I think they met the expectations. They had a very good match. And like we talked about last week, this was a this is a really interesting match because now – if these two guys were to meet, people would be all over it. It'd be a huge deal, and this was kind of like a crossroads match for both guys at the time. Yeah, and I thought it was a perfect match, you know, in hindsight for Chris to pick. Um, you know, with both these guys being huge stars now, and with the post-match angle of Dave Finley coming at the challenge, Jay White for the U.S. title, and also 
that. I forgot that ever happened. Yeah. I forgot about it. And then like got, to got see, similar reaction <laughs> to see the crowds. Rea- it was actually in some ways worse. There's like these two smarky new Japan fans front row, right in the camera. And the whole time he's cutting a promo, they're just like, no, no. Yeah. They're down. <laughs> but you know, that promo was really kind of heelish. And that's one thing I've noticed. I kind of think that Finley might be a more naturally suited heel. And I've never heard anyone else say that, but like a lot of stuff he does is kind of cocky and arrogant and kind of off putting. Yeah, and I I feel like maybe he should just be a heel, and that that could be the key to solve you know kind of what's been missing with him, and so yeah, because he's so talented, man. Yeah, he's very but, talented. Oh, but when you compare his physique back then to his physique now, it's night and day. Like, oh, yeah, he's, he's in so way much better shape, shape now. <laughs> so very very interesting pick. Um, so yeah, what, uh, so let's go uh, close out my recommended match of the week. You know. Um, I really liked the Ishii match this past week, but it wasn't quite the exact story that I love from Ishii. You know, my whole thing is I like when Ishii goes out there and has a fucking war and smashes and just has those violent, never style matches. And I, I even though that match that he had in L.A. was very good, it wasn't quite that. So I was like, you know what? Let's match him up with somebody from the past where we can see that kind of war. And when I was thinking about it, there's a, another match that just happened over in the green mats of Noah, you know, Sugira and um, Tanaka just had a banger in Noah that everyone's raving about super violent, never style match. I haven't seen it yet. Plan to check it out. So um, my recommendation is the, is a match that's not talked about that much but deserves to be it is Masato Tanaka versus Tomohiro Ishii for the never for the never open weight title from February 3rd 2013 New Japan road to new beginning so this is a road to main event and um Dave never rated it it does have a 9.18 on cage match and I can tell you this this might be the most violent Tomohiro Ishii match of all time. Man, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this match. I love Masato Tanaka, and so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to checking this one out. Listen, this dude, this dude Ishii bleeds from his forehead. He bleeds from his mouth, and he bleeds from his hands, and his eyes get sh- swollen shut. And I'm pretty sure he broke a bone in his face. That's how violent this match is. Man, sounds like yeah, a strong style fight of the year. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's going to be my recommendation. It, this is available on New Japan World, and uh, I think it's going to over-deliver. So. Nice. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this week's show. Next week, we'll, we'll be back to uh, preview or view whatever is coming up with the Summer Struggle uh, Tour in Japan, as well as what's going on on New Japan Strong. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex. You can also find us in the Wrestling Squared Circle, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the pro black guy. Y'all just keeping a strong style. 
You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Show Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. We have the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, number two. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin and the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Leave my man Jeremy Donovan a happy birthday wish. Send him some kudos. Leave a rating or review. Do something for this man. He puts in the work because he is Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.